Anton, thank you very much for coming here. Now, we've both read your book, Hangukin Dulei Sangan Hengbok, and it's really cool. Thank you. Love it. But before we talk about the book and the ideas in the book and your analysis of contemporary Korean society and the way you do all of this um, in the Korean language as well, I thought it'd be interesting to get some understanding of your, your foundations because just before we started, we've, you've been conversing so naturally in Korean and uh, I, I thought I'd try to understand you a little bit through Buddhism and Taekwondo because mm. these seem to have affected and shaped your, your journey to Korea and things like this. So... Um, shall we maybe, which one comes first for you, Taekwondo or Buddhism? Um, well, it started uh, definitely with Taekwondo. Yeah. Uh, when I was relatively young, I started practicing uh, martial arts. I had always been fascinated with Asian culture from a very young age mm. uh, for no particular reason, I guess. But uh, anyway, so I was always interested. And at some point I just started uh, with Taekwondo and I was looking around. Uh, um, I'm from Hamburg uh, mm -hmm. uh, in Germany and I looked around at different martial arts school, uh, different Japanese martial arts, different uh, martial arts in general. Yeah. And for me, it was most important, not so much what martial art I practiced, but mm. who was teaching me. Right. And uh, so the master was most important to me. And when I met my master, um, at the time, I realized, okay, this is this is the man I had been looking for, and then I practiced with him for many years, and uh, during uh, the practice of martial arts and his teachings, because his teaching, uh, he always said, you know, if you uh, in in Korean we say um yang, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Western people mostly know it as yin yang, mm -hmm. but uh, so there always needs to be a balance. So if you learn to to hurt or destroy you also have to learn to heal so we learned the basics of oriental philosophy of oriental mm -hmm. medicine of basic of acupuncture and all of these things so he was teaching us not just one side of uh, of the path the door uh, but also the other side and i thought that was really uh, the kind of way i wanted to learn so um, maybe if my master would have been a Japanese master, maybe my, my life would have gone in a complete different direction, right? So this was a Korean master in Hamburg, This Germany. was a Korean master, yeah. Wow. He used to teach the, uh, the German national team in Taekwondo. And then uh, at some point he opened the school, uh, mm. Taekwondo Tojang. Uh, in in Hamburg, and that's why I met him, and uh, yeah, and got to know him, his wife, his family, and uh, practiced there for many years. Mm. Got exposed to Korean culture, Korean martial arts, Korean mm. food. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how my fascination with Korea started. And because as explained, he also trained us in different things. So we had meditation and he mm. invited a Korean monk at some point to our Dojang, mm. uh, who was traveling in Europe. Mm. And this monk, that time I translated uh, German English uh, for the monk. My, I didn't know any Korean at the time. And uh, the monk said, oh, well, you seem very interested in Zen Buddhism. And I said, yeah, I am. And I read many books and things like that. And and he said, well, if you're really interested, uh, you should come to Korea. I'll teach you. Mm. And then I thought, yeah, what a crazy idea, <laughs> you know, going to Korea. And then I, when I, I was slept. This? What year are we talking about? That roughly? was in 90. It must have been end of 93, I suppose. Because Korea wouldn't have been that well known, I don't think, then. It's not yeah. like it is now. No, it's completely not different. nearly yeah. nearly anywhere near it. So at that time, I was still doing uh, my mandatory civil service. Um, okay. In Germany, we either have to go to the military or do civil service. Um, mm. I'm not a big fan of the military, so uh, I went to civil service. And uh, anyway, I I decided I, I'll do that. And so I, um, uh, yeah, and then basically I finished my civil service and mm. then I went uh, to to Korea in 94. Can you tell us a little bit about more about Taekwondo? 
Um, I work with and I know a gentleman called Steve Capener. I'm not sure if you know him. He was mm. on the American international team, but he goes on these huge tirades about Taekwondo today of turning into some K-pop performances right. and dances. Um, I'm just curious, in your eyes, what is Taekwondo? How would you describe it? How is it different from Judo or Karate or Jiu-Jitsu? Or mm. what, it, what is it, Anton? Well, you know, first Taekwondo is not that really, really old traditional martial arts that okay. many people think it is. It was actually more a modern version or mix of different other things or a style that was created comparatively mm. recently. And uh, it is very similar in many ways to karate, though, mm. I would say, in, if you look at it, the, the structure of it and so on and so on. So um, it is uh, very more, more aggressive. Uh, there are more defenses like mm. uh, judo or aikido or things like that. Uh, is more forward aggressive um, mm. and I would agree with your friend maybe to some extent that it has uh, a little bit come also since it became uh, um, a kind of a Olympic discipline I think right. that changed a lot mm. uh, the style of fighting because um, in these disciplines all you need to do in Olympics you don't have to actually knock down your opponent or something it's more it's if the touch is there mm. Uh, then it's a point, right? Mm. But that touch on the street in a real fight <laughs> wouldn't do anything. Um, no. I'm sure all of these athletes, they could really also fight if they want to. But mm. what we see in a Taekwondo tournament, mm. also when I look at that, I said, no, that's not Taekwondo. That's not how I learned it because my master was from Busan, more of a street fighter guy <laughs> back in the day. And so he said, you know, you hit once and mm. the other guy hits the, hits the floor. That's the only two hits that it should take. Nice. And uh, it's not about this competition style making points. So, um, And I thought that is how it should be uh, mm. in a way. The irony of you not liking the military while being probably one of the more dangerous men <laughs> walking the streets is not lost. Is there, could you maybe just give us um, one of the ideas of Taekwondo or a foundation or a concept? Because some of them you're using the opponent's energy against them and mm. things like this, but I'm not sure, are there any sort of common or core ideas or fundamentals of ta Taekwondo as you learned it? Um, I think really, again, as, as mentioned before, it really depends on who's teaching it. Um, yeah, no. So if you if you have a modern teaching, which is more of a uh, comp competition style mm. uh, Taekwondo, then maybe the objective is to get as many points as possible mm. uh, and win the tournament. Mm. Um, but uh, the way I learned it is, is just a matter of, uh, yeah, first of respect and, and physical. You have to build up your flexibility, your mm. strength mm. and uh, be very hard training and I think it, I think the most important lessons uh, mm. that I took from Taekwondo is not so much how to defend myself or, or something it gives you uh, a, a state of mind and yeah. it gives you a little bit of feeling of uh, achievement of course but it also was how we were trained so um, there was this episode for example where we had these week-long sessions uh, mm. in the in the German summer heat, which is near and uh, close to the Korean summer heat, but it's hot enough on a hot day. Mm. And we trained, had trained for hours. And uh, and then he said, uh, OK, can we do another round? And then we we're like, no, no, master, we're really done. We're totally done. And he said, are you completely done? Or is there a little bit of energy left? And we're like, no, serious, master, we're completely done. Yeah. He said, OK, then we start now. And, and this is where you extend your boundaries mm. and where you are pushed beyond out of your comfort zone and mm. where you start to realize how much you can actually do. Mm. 
And I think that, those are the, the vital lessons. But that is not something that anybody will learn if you practice Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that is something that you learn when you practice with uh, a good master. Mm -hmm. And this is something you could learn with uh, Kung Fu or Karate or any, any martial art. But as mentioned, compared to like defensive martial artists uh, like Aikido using a lot of the energy or, um, or a Yudo, uh, being much more um, uh, defensive in that style, of mm. course, it is more of an aggressive. It's uh, there's a reason they teach it in the in the Korean military, for example. And so. What what's master in that sense? Is it sunseng nim or is it something different in the taekwondo sense? Sabom nim. Okay, yeah, that yeah. would make sense. Any thoughts on taekwondo these days for for your generation, Yunso? Like, does your boyfriend do it? Do you go to like hakido <laughs> hagwons, or is it just something for the military? Yeah, if you ask Korean Gen Z with yeah. the taekwondo, they would probably say, "Oh, I've done it when I was in elementary school or yeah, something like that," because it's a yeah, it's a like starter <laughs> pack, like Korean starter pack, and they would also brag about their like belt color because mm. when you go like higher level, you change your belt color, right? Right, and if you do taekwondo in adult age, that would be seen more like a art mm. or just like a choreography, mm. more than a like elementary school thing. Yeah, those two are so different. Yeah. I love the idea that it's a starter pack for young yeah. children yeah. just to get that Koreanness into them yeah, from it an is. early age. <laughs> yeah, and you, I, I can see them all standing there doing this. And yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's more. I mean, my son went to <laughs> these kind of taekwondo classes when he was still uh, like in kindergarten, basically, mm. and. But I also didn't like uh, it really. He also did uh, Japanese kendo, but I was also not really happy with it because, um, I mean, uh, you don't have to beat the crap out of your opponents. Obviously, that's not the idea, mm. but there should be a sense of like responsibility and this should not be entertaining or mm. Uh, mm. or something, give the kids something to do. Mm. This is a martial art. This is a do. This mm. is a way of life and mm. you should have some respect and, and the... A certain amount of suffering is part of that path yes and to just have it nice and uh, nobody should be get getting too stressed out and nobody should be sweating too much then i think it's not what it should be um then you should do something else you know you can play all kinds of other games but um using this for children in kindergarten um, uh, is, I think, not the right way. And it's a little bit of a shame, I think, that martial arts in, in their true form mm. um, actually don't have such a high standing in Korea anymore. Mm, yeah, maybe because they've tried so hard. It's it's become sort of a f um, like physical education or cheyuk or just yeah. babysitting. Right. Give them some chance to run around. Exactly. Give them something to do. Give them a belt. And Use their energy <clears> and uh, yeah. so they're not <laughs> running around in the house that yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> but that is not what martial arts right. uh, was was meant for. And of course, uh, it comes from a um, uh, from a background of, of war and, mm. and and fighting. But uh, it has become over over the centuries and decades and. Um, Obviously, it has become a form also to to build yourself up, not only physically, mm. but also mentally. And it's not a children entertainment. Uh, yeah. It is uh, something very serious. And because you find the true value in it when you suffer, when you uh, redefine your boundaries of what you're capable of, and when you experience failure or once you experience that that pain, yeah. then it changes your mind. That connection between the, the mental and physical being, I think, is so very true, so very important. You've mentioned a couple of times the idea of to, mm. the way. You've mentioned umyang as well, the yin-yang. So maybe going from this taekwondo to, to Buddhism, there's many different types of Buddhism. You got invited to come to Korea yeah. to study by a monk. Can you, can you tell us about 
Buddhism as you, as you've learned it, as you've understood it, as it's been part of your life, mm. please? Uh, well, Buddhism, there are, as you mentioned, several types. I think the main uh, difference is uh, Theravada and Mahayana. Mm. Uh, Theravada is the more traditional form um, uh, with the saffron robes and which you will find in, for example, in Sri Lanka and most of uh, Southeast Asia. And Mahayana, called the big vehicle, um, Mm -hmm. uh, is found in Northeast Asia and and Vietnam. Mm. Uh, So Vietnam is an interesting case because it has... uh, Geographically, it belongs to Southeast Asia, mm. but culturally, it has uh, quite strong influence from Northeast Asia, actually. And Buddhism is is a proof of that. Um, and so, um, these are the two main directions. And mm. of course, there are different sects, uh, uh, but um, that is the biggest difference, I think. And uh, Zen Buddhism uh, is again a, a group within Mahayana uh, mm-hmm. Buddhism, and to me, it is the most clear form, a simplistic form. Uh, of Buddhism because it really comes back to to the what I would consider the roots um, mm. uh, there's the religious form of Buddhism mm. and uh, and there is kind of Zen and Zen in its essence should not be religious it should be open to any religion and anybody can practice it mm. uh, because uh, it is not about uh, Buddha is not a deity uh, and you don't have to believe in it uh, what I really always liked about Buddhism is that um, uh, Buddha said uh, you even if you believe in me with all your heart it will not help you um <laughs> you have to understand what i understood mm. only that can help you mm. and to me that is a very grown-up religion in, in a sense if you would even want to call it a religion as such um mm. it is one of the six major uh religions of the world but it's actually actually it is more a way of life uh, than a religion as such and um and it's not centering about a god or some myth of uh, of something mm. uh, it even doesn't matter if buddha ever said these words uh, mm. or not it doesn't matter um uh, what matters is the message uh, that it has been transmitted over centuries and and uh, and that is uh, that you have to find yourself um, mm-hmm. i mean the most famous mantra of buddhism is uh, om mani padme hum Mm-hmm. Om Mani Padme Hum means uh, the jewel is inside, mm. in, inside the lotus. So uh, don't look outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And all the other major religions are very much focused on uh, you are nothing, uh, but God is everything. All the gods are everything and you are helpless without the gods. And, and Buddhism is kind of the complete opposite of that. And that's something I always liked psychological almost it's focusing on that introspection hinduism has that atman is brahman that there is something inside of you connected to a bigger one just to go into a little bit more the jewel is inside you uh, and you said that we can never get to buddha or the truth just through faith alone we need to understand Mm. i i guess from zen buddhism it's like koans and these kind of things designed to provoke enlightenment like what is the sound of sound of one hand clapping mm. and things like this could you perhaps maybe speak about some of the ideas or methods or i'm not asking you to give us the key to enlightenment <laughs> right here because that would just well, if you could but <laughs> right, the jewel well, is inside. i have it somewhere here uh, <laughs> the jewel is inside is one thing yeah. any more of these ideas that are important or essential or a way of being for this type of buddhism anton well Zen again is is focused very much on on hard practice, mm-hmm. like martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's repetition. It's sitting on a cushion, uh, staring at the wall, so to speak, and and 
the koans can be uh, there are different schools of zen and mm. uh, some use koans some don't and um but the key focus is always to understand yourself and mm. uh, and to uh, get a deeper understanding of what life is about mm-hmm. um the thing is Basically, I, I would say that one of the basic idea is that uh, there is the mind mm-hmm. and your true self. Mm-hmm. And uh, a picture that is often used in Zen and modern Zen is basically you, your true self is the driver of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, but your mind is always sitting next to you and talking to you <laughs> all the time. And so at some point you believe that this guy you're actually in charge and you are holding the wheel mm. but the guy next to you is talking to you so much that at some point you do whatever this person wants mm. and this is kind of the situation that we have that um uh, this this uh, person beside you this mind mm. says oh you have to have this uh, mm. to to achieve happiness or if you get this car if you get this girl if you get this promotion if you get this house then mm. happiness will come mm. um but it never does because uh, actually desire uh, especially for material things uh, there is no boundary mm-hmm. it's endless as the universe so whatever you have you will always ache for something more mm-hmm. um and uh, to cut through this and to to realize that first my desires and this is not just a desire for uh, material things mm-hmm. for love for fame but it is also uh, feelings like anger and all of these things um that they only have as much control over your life and happiness mm-hmm. as much as you give to them mm-hmm. so let me give you an example. So, for example, you have worked in a company for a couple of years um, and suddenly you get fired and you're really sad and depressed and, and things like that. Ask yourself a simple question. Um, is it the boss who put you in this misery mm-hmm. that you are now in? Like, that's what 99% would say. That was uh, like, or maybe more. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, yeah, my boss is screwed up and now I'm so miserable because of my boss. Mm-hmm. Or is it your attachment to the status that this position gave you, to the mm-hmm. monthly payment that gave? Mm-hmm. If you wouldn't have given so much weight to your position mm-hmm. and to the money uh, that you uh, use to support your maybe fancy lifestyle or something, mm-hmm. you wouldn't feel that pain. Mm-hmm. That pain doesn't come from your boss firing you. This pain comes from how much... Uh, Basically, you invested yourself into mm. these material things, the mm. status, the money, um, uh, the work itself, the satisfaction that you got from it. So if you if you see that um, you have more responsibility mm. and it's not always other people who are in charge of your misery, but it's very much you s- yourself who uh, can put yourself into misery, but also uh, the, the good side is can, can get yourself out of this misery. And I think that is the basic message um, that try to be in the moment mm. try to realize what's really happening and try to see how much control uh, you really give your emotions your desires and things like that mm. are you converted have you become a buddhist <laughs> <laughs> kind of <laughs> because i remember hearing some story from people who believe in buddhism mm. and the people was talking about when you're just holding a cactus yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then is it the cactus that hurts you or is it your hand that holding cactus is hurting you? Mm. I I thought that yeah. it explains a lot. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's mm -hmm. a similar way. Yeah. It's like how you see things. Uh, sometimes um, it's the same thing, but if you change your perspective mm. on this very thing, your whole world can change. Yeah. Mm. It's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. It's. I want to come back to the help idea. It's like when you see the flag uh, blowing in the wind on the mountain over there. You mm. say, oh, look, the flag mm. is moving. And you say, no, no, no. And you say, oh, the wind is moving. Mm. Say, no, no, no. The mind is moving. Yeah. The mind is doing all of this. I, I really love the old story about the, the Chinese farmer whose horse runs away. Uh, yeah. And somebody says to him, that's such terrible news. Your horse has run away. Mm. And, the, and the farmer says, good news, bad news. Who can tell? Exactly. Yeah. And then the horse comes back. And mm. He's got more horses. And the story goes on and on. But it's about, um, for those that don't know, go and find it. It, it takes a mm. while to tell. But it's this idea that we shouldn't have attachment to something. Mm. And, and I, I believe it's really what you're saying. There's a couple of things I just want to pick at here, mm. Anton. One is that I've, for the past week or so, it's always been coming up this, first it was when I was looking at Carl Jung's work, the difference between the self, the capital S self and the ego mm. and the differences between those. Yesterday when we were speaking to Sonilhan Yorumbam, yeah. uh, a, a psychologist here, she was mm. telling us you have your real self and your ideal self and the ideal self is dangerous because it's this thing that you yeah. can never achieve, this desire and what you've described as well, the, the person telling you in this passenger seat, do this, do this, and this real self here, it sounds so similar. And I'm wondering, it feels like Buddhism is in some ways uh, a cure for modern society. That might be overstating it, but mm. I feel that a lot of people in the modern world, we become attached to things. We see our, our real self online or in these constructions that we make and we see unhappiness spreading mm. is, is there some kind of deep wisdom in there irrespective of all the religion aspects of it that it's a cure for us in some way it's psychological a absolutely and and because i think society is drifting in the opposite direction from what i just described mm. um so Korea, for example, could be called the most materialistic country in the world because if you count it down per capita, mm. uh, no other nation in the world, people spend more money on luxury goods. And uh, um, and the use showing how much you have of mm. fancy cars and fancy clothes and stuff like that mm. is so hugely important in this country. So there is this materialistic part. and and um, But also with the SNS culture, uh, people almost create an avatar of themselves and they create uh, an online being that mm. actually doesn't really exist. Um, so um, I also said uh, like that I have the feeling that these days it's more important to appear happy than to actually be happy. So you you project a certain mm. happiness and then but over time, if you if you start to uh, create this persona, mm. which has uh, like uh, the the really cute girlfriend or nice looking boyfriend and you have all the jewelry and all the clothings and you go mm. to these fancy resorts and you have this really great lifestyle, which is just maybe one or two percent of your life and the rest is really crap. But. Um, you feel urged to support this uh, this uh, this image that you have mm. created and you have to feed it and it becomes almost like a demon uh, to some extent that eats up your life and your energy and all your money and mm. everything and so I think to cut through this uh, mm. is, is really really important and that we have to come back to what is really important if for example material goods and fame and all of these things um, uh, could create happiness 
why have you so many stars using drugs and mm -hmm. and we just had recently the suicide and and mm -hmm. all of these things why are so many rich famous people so mm -hmm. miserable mm -hmm. um, that only drugs can give them a little bit of an elevation uh, of feeling happiness because to me getting all the things that you want mm -hmm. is not heaven that is hell mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you get all the things that you want you end up in hell mm -hmm. um, because The thing is, many people feel like there's a hole in, in their mind or in their soul, but they have still this hope. If I have money, if I have this, if mm. I have that, this hole will go away. Mm. So through the hope, they can carry on and uh, overcome their depression and their feeling of maybe self-loathing to some extent. But if you're rich and famous mm. and you have all the things that you always wanted and this hole doesn't go away, mm. then what do you do? And I think this is what creates this. Uh, that is why many uh, K-pop stars, actors and so go to drugs or uh, alcoholism or even suicide at some point because uh, nothing can make this whole go away. Because mm. all of the things that society and maybe your parents or everybody told you that would make it go away, it doesn't make it go mm. away. You're already rich. You're already famous. You're already loved from all your fans. Mm. So you have everything and still you have nothing. Mm. And we're, we're told to love everything, actually. It's almost become part of our culture to consume, to desire. It's, it's almost not our fault. Uh, it, in some ways, of course, we do have some control over it. But to succeed in this world, we're almost meant to sort of commodify ourselves and become an entrepreneur of our identity and, uh, and put it out there. And what, what I agree with you 100% is this desire... Um, can never be satiated and it just you you said it becomes a demon and one of the things I've often thought about is that we've lost our narratives mm. we've lost stories and we've lost tales of the demons and the horses and the dragons and we we, we tell each other about a 3.4% increase in mm. this and that doesn't move anybody that doesn't that doesn't give us anything I heard this brilliant expression of what hell is you just mentioned mm. it the hell is um, Hell is experiencing the bad experiences your choices gave to other people. Mm. So hell is not a place, but mm. all of the bad things that you've done that you made other people experience, hell is when you have to experience those mm. things, conscious of what you've done to those mm. people. Mm. So if you've made people sad, unhappy, crying, mm. if, you've, if you've been cheating on somebody, done all this, you then have to experience that knowing that's what you put other people through and i heard that and i was like that's heartbreaking <laughs> it's just a big window of karma coming at your life and wow that is the concept of karma yeah you know, that uh and that's also another thing because we're talking about buddhism and everything which yeah. i really liked uh that was is, past tense anton yeah uh no which i really like uh okay, sorry. like sorry um um it's uh There is no forgiveness in, in that sense. And though forgiveness is a great idea, but in Buddhism, actually, whatever you do, mm. um, it will come back to you. Mm. Mm. And you can't say at the end of many bad deeds that, oh, I'm so sorry, uh, um, and everything is erased. Mm. That concept doesn't exist in, in Buddhism. Uh, if you do bad things, mm. they will come back to mm. you. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that is, in a way, how, how life should be. There should be some kind mm. of... Um, um uh you know some kind of uh, this idea that 
if you just say sorry, I mean, of course, forgiveness. As a, I'm not against forgiveness on a personal level or mm. anything at all. But uh, this idea, because I I believe in a religion, and I maybe even look at what's happening in uh, around the world. People murder in the name of religion, and even think they mm. will get benefits for that and mm. stuff like that. How 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 can that be religion? How can that be anything that people support? Uh, Buddhism says you kill people. This will come back to you, and mm. not in a good way. Mm. And any other religion that tells you murdering and uh, and mutilating other people your god will love this mm. um uh, sorry i i cannot get behind that are you a vegetarian no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i used What? to live as a vegetarian okay. for a long time because yeah. i spent many years in monasteries yeah. but one of the reasons why i well, it was clear to me i couldn't pursue a path as a monk was <laughs> i love to eat meat i have to admit We, we we do have a lot of Buddhists in on one side of our family over here, and I've spent quite a bit of time at the temples and going, and I've never seen happier people than some of the monks that I meet. Mm. I don't know if happy is the word, but one of the more recent ones I met, he just had one eyebrow. Mm. It was a very clear <laughs> monobrow that just went across, mm. and the rest of him was bald, yeah. but one of him. And it's so, he was just beaming with just smile and yeah. warmth and happiness and you know we've we've met some i'm sure some some rich people some powerful people mm. some influential people and these are meant to be the stars the celebrities mm. the big people but i've never seen someone more uh, satisfied with everything mm. than some of the monks that i've seen they, yeah. they, they you can see it radiating off them it's I think, true. sometimes that is what actually got me into buddhism because i had i, I come from a christian country and um i had met many mm, Christian people or something like this uh, not a particular religious family but still never anything impressed me mm. but I saw these monks uh, uh, and uh, at least some of them and I said like whatever they got I want that <laughs> because that is a feeling they had this feeling of lightness and mm. and uh, Uh, and something they were not trying to convince me of anything mm. and uh, they just told me that is how it is and I felt uh, there is truth there mm. and uh, for the first time I felt like oh I, I've seen truth and it doesn't have to be Buddhism I think this um, the, like I said the path of Zen for example is open to all religions and I practice with people from different religions mm. in, in monasteries together um, it's a way of finding uh your true self. And I think that is something that in the end should be the goal for any religion. Uh, mm. uh, mm. So uh, that is, I think, and and as you said before, maybe uh, to, to look into this, um, uh, some kind of detach yourself from your desires a little bit and, and look at other things that I'm pursuing in my life. Are these the things that actually really make me happy or will mm. make me happy in the mm. future? Mm. Uh, that is a very very long and hard stare you should do at your life and uh, and I think that's what I talk a, a lot about in my book because uh, people are so willing to follow in Korea where society seems to dominate uh, every decision you make every decision is already mm -hmm. made for you mm -hmm. but if this doesn't make you happy mm -hmm. of course you can blame society and for some extent I can understand that but at the end of the day mm -hmm. um, you're the only one who can who can save yourself. Uh, don't expect anybody to come and save you. And mm. uh, if your life is miserable, uh, and it has been for 10 years, if you follow this path another 10 years, uh, you know what Albert Einstein says, like repeating the same thing and uh, expecting a different outcome, that's that's insanity. Yeah. Uh, so I would say if you, if you pursue a path in your life and it's making you miserable and just continuing on and hoping that at some point it will miracle, uh, in a miracle it will turn around, mm. uh, that's insanity. 
if you're not happy with your life, you have to change it. And the, the, the biggest blocker is fear. Mm. People are afraid uh, to cross uh, boundaries, to experience something new. They, they rather stick with the misery they know mm. than to, uh, they are more afraid uh, to lose whatever they have uh, uh, than to experience something new and say, okay, I'll make a cut here. I need to change my life. And uh, there are very few people who can actually do it. Mm. Mm. Speaking, of, sorry. Speaking of happiness, I wanted to ask you about two things um, about Busoyu thing in mm. Buddhism. Because, as you know, Korea is highly materialistic society, right? Yeah. So, first of all, do you think that modern Koreans need to practice Busoyu or close to that? And the second question is, is Musoyo possible in Korean society? Maybe you have to explain what Musoyo means. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as, as I believe, I'm not an expert. <laughs> you, mm. you have lived more in Korea than uh. I lived. So <laughs> I'm not very proud to say things. Um, as I believe, Musoyo is the um, thing that you should not really obsess over materialistic things. And you even have to throw away the things that distracts you from your true self mm -hmm. to be really happy and really satisfied, as the monk you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think detachment is, is really the important word that you... Um, I think you can still enjoy good things in your life. You can have good food, you can have nice things. The question is, um, do you own these things mm -hmm. or do they own you? Mm -hmm. oh. So if there is something which you cannot give away anymore, you don't own it anymore. Mm. It has begun to own you. And uh, and it has sometimes items can become part of your persona or your, your image, the image that of your ego, what you have of yourself. So I think this kind of detachment, if you're not attached to something, having good things is no problem. Mm. But if you become totally attached to them, mm. and I think that is the problem uh, that we see not only in Korean society, but in Korean society in particular, that people become extremely attached and and uh, kind of identify themselves over the things they own. Mm. Yeah. They think if I have this jacket, I belong to a certain group. Um, or if I drive this kind of car, uh, I belong to this kind of group. Mm. So. The car is not the problem. The jacket is not the problem. But if you start to identify uh, yourself uh, or uh, basically said, I'm that kind of person because I have this item, uh, who's the owner? And and that's the thing. So I would definitely say that uh, Korea, um, uh, Korean people have to, they have this very materialistic path. And, and the reason is, where did this come from? I think it's a very natural thing. And for example, if you look at... Um, at rap music, for example. Rap music is um, uh, a little bit the kind of music style where first this materialistic thing was very much focused on, oh, I have this big chain, I drive this big car, and you're all trash, and I have much more money, I have so much money, I can't count it anymore. And uh, where the rap music started from black people. So black people, for example, for a long time of their history in the United States were suppressed and relatively poor. And so for the first time, people have money. And then they want to show it, mm. Uh, mm. and uh, and they want to talk about it. Mm. That finally I have something. Mm. And I think uh, so. Uh, if you look at many rappers, for example, gold chains and diamond rings and all of this. So look at all the mm. all the money I have, mm. you know, and this big car and things like that. Korea is a little bit like that. Mm. Korea used to be extremely poor for a very long time, and finally we got money. Yeah. And finally we got attention. So let's show how much we have. Mm. I think that is to some extent very understandable. 
sadly, it's not a path to happiness. Mm. Uh, and bragging about how much you have and identifying yourself uh, through the objects that you own can give you a short time feeling of bliss or a, a short time feeling of uh, satisfaction. But uh, satisfaction or uh, a moment of bliss is not happiness. Happiness is, is something that should be, that I think true happiness you can only reach if you detach yourself from objects, not through gaining more and more objects. And I think this is where Korea just went the wrong way, where mm -hmm. they, I think they were closer to happiness back in the day. So for example, my experience, now it's 30 years, it's uh, from 94 to 2024. So mm -hmm. people had much less in the 90s, but I think they were much happier. Mm -hmm. um, is that because hard, the yeah. gap between the rich and I've heard because mm. the gap between the rich and the poor was lower, that they were all kind of equal in their poverty. Of course, they were still <laughs> rich people, sure. but they felt less um, pressure and they felt less of that um, more bimbu gyokta, that, that gap between. Is yeah. it, was it related to that or? I, I think so. And uh, it's different reasons. Um, I also think when you're moving up, every year mm. you always feel like oh it's getting better and better and better and that also creates a certain happiness but people were a little bit more simple and the joys mm. were more simple there, there was no brand not everybody was running around with Gucci and Montclair or a jacket or whatever you know people had simple clothing mm. and and uh, uh, like imported cars was a, was rare that uh, you had people with imported cars so yeah maybe everybody was a little bit more on the level and people uh, were more on a human the human connection, the family connection was much more important mm. back in the day, I think. And and these days, and you had real friends. Yeah. There was no internet. And so you actually had real friends. Mm. Um, and now you have many likes and many followers and uh, very few friends <laughs> sometimes. And so I think it's um, why Korea has such a low birth rate and uh, so high suicide rate and seems to be a depressed country of sorts. I think there's not one single reason, but it's a cocktail of, of different things that happened. Uh, uh, and Korea has a very unique story, especially over the last 50 years, I would say. It's, uh, there is no story in the world that really can be compared to Korean story, I would say. And this kind of cocktail blessed Korea with from rock bottom to number 10 in the world economically and one of the most popular nations these days and and uh, so there were a lot of um, blessings the country received mm. but the side effects of these blessings especially when they come in such a short period mm. can be overwhelming and um, I sometimes compare Korea to these child Hollywood stars, you know, like who get famous overnight with a movie and suddenly get already two, three million dollars for the next deal. And they're they're still in primary school. Mm. So a lot of these end up relatively miserable. Uh, they start using drugs and things like that, because as you cannot cope with the speed of the riches that uh, mm -hmm. you get, you're you're still a child. And I think Korea needed more time for mm. the development they made from rock bottom to top 10 in the world. Uh, but they didn't have this time. So it, it all happened historically seen overnight. Mm. Mm. And there are side effects. And we are experiencing the side effects of that now. Mm. I agree. Thank you for your insight. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of comparing um, 
Korean nouveau riche or people like that flexing. Flex is a big word. Like the idea of we've been talking about hand recently, and you ask young people about hand, they're like, we don't have hand. We like flex. Flex is a word they understand, mm. which is what you were comparing to sort of um, you know African American and, and gangster rap and this idea of swag and showing off and mm. how it appears in Korea. And you see all people walking around with Louis Vuitton bags mm. and things like this. And you can tell these people aren't particularly rich. Yeah. But the necessity to have that kind of bag is very clear uh, and very obvious. I wonder if it's, is it growing pains? Can Korea come out of this? So it's like a teenager. Sometimes when you're a teenager, you go through a gangster rap phase. And, yeah, you know, I, I was driving around the south of England listening to Dr. Dre when I was 15. <laughs> I did that. And... Um, but I'm, I'm not saying it's only for teenagers, but sometimes you grow out of those phases. I wonder if we're looking at Korea as a very young, sort of in its teenage phase, because it's a relatively young country, despite the long history, and it will eventually mature, like, like Anton, you have matured over your life. And, I hope. <laughs> or is there a sense that we have a problem child Hollywood actor that's being given too much and now what's done cannot be undone. Do you see the two different paths I'm, I'm trying to lay out here? Yeah, I wonder absolutely. if you have a take on that? Or I think only time can tell, really, because um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I really hope that uh, Korea will mature through this process, but it will be a very painful uh, process because I think uh, Korea will uh, lose um, a lot of that has been given to it in the, in the next uh, 15, 20 years or so, for example. I, I think uh, a lot of the prosperity that we have achieved will, is not sustainable mm -hmm. uh, with this kind of birth rate and, and uh, the geopolitical changes we're seeing and so on and so on. So the question is, I think also in Hollywood you see people who succumb to this kind of thing and who, uh, who, who never come back, who never fully recover from that. And they're, now they're washed out uh, people. Um, everybody still knows their name, but uh, they never show up unless they trashed another car or something like this. And there are people who cleaned up their act uh, after years of drug use and after lots of problems and so on and so on, mm. and are now, again, respected uh, uh, actors, for example, um, Robert Downey Jr., for example, or some, uh, for example. As, and Michael as one Jackson person. was the other one I was thinking of in my mind. Yeah, for example, or Macaulay Culkin or something, yeah. for, for example. I don't yeah. think he has a big career going on. Um, um, so things like that. So there are always people, and I think I have trust in the Korean people that uh, there, there's a strength and resilience. And uh, I have seen that, I've experienced that. And uh, Korea has overcome over centuries. They have they have much worse problems they have overcome. The war and, mm. and, uh, and, uh, and before that uh, times, there were much harder times than the times we're seeing now. The question is now, uh, has the new generation the strength of the old generation? I think the old generation in Korea, I really totally admire those people because they are so strong and so centered in a way. And if I look at my wife's mother, for example, like she never complains about anything. And mm. she's always kind of cheerful and positive and works. Uh, like if I come uh, to her house, she never let me help anything or even mm -hmm. though she's much older and and I want to help and I almost feel bad, but she's like, no, 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 you, you work so hard, you know, rest. And, mm -hmm. and she cooks and does everything and and never uh, a single time I've heard her complain about anything. And so I really admire uh, a lot of this generation that built up this country from uh, to where it is now. The question is if the new generation, the younger generation has 
the strength to overcome this crisis. Mm. But I think it's somewhere in their genes. So uh, they might be a little bit more sensitive and and wimpy uh, uh, um, in our perception. And <laughs> I sometimes uh, feel also a little bit angry with that, like that they're too, uh, come across as a little bit too wimpy. But I think when it comes down to it, yeah. I think they still have it. So I, uh, if if I would be a betting man, which mm. I'm not, I would put my money on the Korean people. Because it's a different challenge as well. It it, it, it's, it seems he's he's talking about you here, you and so yeah. you and your <laughs> friends. He's, he's got all this latte and and things like this going on. What do you think when you hear this? Do you do you think your generation has the the strength and the courage to get through these things, like the the mothers and grandmothers of yesteryear, or? Mm. I agree with you saying that older people are more strong and centered. And I also think that Gen Z type of Korean young people is more willing to start something or they are more like engaging, but they don't really have the resilience to like recover from things mm-hmm. because they were like treated more softer than the young the older generations before because they went through so much things. But Gen Z Koreans were raised in such a soft and protected way. So I guess um, we should learn more about resilience and being strong and being consistent. Mm -hmm. Then um, we can be hopeful, maybe. Do you think your generation is more empathetic? You have more empathy, like kongam, towards different identities and people. And they things. seem to be in SNS because yeah. we express feelings on SNS. But mm. us, in my opinion, is more self-ego-centered. Mm. So we mm. are more empathic on ourselves, not <laughs> others. Like we say uri, you but we're it, not very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's something uh, almost anybody who has been here for some time, mm-hmm. and also the Koreans, uh, the older generation, really feels very strongly that the new generation uh, has, is much more self-censored mm-hmm. and um, and much more concerned uh, with their well-being. They used to be everything in this country used to be uri uri uri, uh, mm-hmm. and. I said they should change it. It should be now na na na. You know, um, <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of that has changed, and mm. that's not all bad. Maybe because obviously we're individuals, and uh, the question is always: I don't judge good and bad. You know, um, I just think: Does it make you happy? Mm. If it, if it makes you happy, then fine. You know, mm. uh, but I don't think either extreme. Uh, because you asked me what are the centers of, of Buddhism. One thing the Buddha discovered, like, uh, I don't know if you know the Buddha's life story a little bit, but the Buddha, first, when he started practicing, was extreme austerity. And mm-hmm. so he almost killed himself uh, with austerity. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he said, it's the middle path. You, you need to pursue the middle path. Extremes are not the way to, uh, to find uh, the path. Mm. So either extreme... And I think that also can be applied to maybe political sense, to left, to right or something, you know, uh, what we see now with the whole woke movement or the extreme leftist movement. I think actually, uh, you know, they are coming close to the to the right and and uh, saying this needs to be canceled. This this needs to be forbidden. So every time you have extremes, be it religious extremes, political extremes or other kind of extremes, extreme materialism uh, or something like this, then it it rarely leads to uh, happiness, mm. I believe. Mm. Um, 
So you always have to question yourself. Uh, too hard can be not good, too soft. Um, I would say like a good blade mm. is uh, soft steel and hard steel together and hammered a lot mm. uh, because the soft steel make the blade flexible, the strong steel make it uh, that it doesn't bend. Uh, so what uh, damas, uh, damas steel, as we say, or like a good Japanese blade or it should be um, yeah, many layers uh, and hammered of different kinds of steel. And I think this is uh, the way it should be. Mm. Yeah. The non-military man talking about weapons. <laughs> yeah. I like knives. Yeah. I do like knives. I, I cook a lot and uh, I have a lot of damask knife in my kitchen. Excellent. Before we get on to some of these ideas in your book, I, I just wanted to ask about Buddhism in modern society today. We, I, I mean, we asked you if you see much Taekwondo about and things like that. But in my ignorance, I thought when I came to Korea, that I was going to be able to sit in the mountains with a guy with a white beard, mm-hmm. smoke a pipe and find my inner penguin. That's mm-hmm. it's more Theravada Southeast yeah. <laughs> Asia, as you said. But you don't see much Buddhism in and around, like the the, the capital city of Seoul. The temples are hidden in the mountains. Um, do you see or hear much of Buddhism from people around you? I mean, Christianity is very visible and yeah. things like this, and Saibi and cults are, are always there. Does it... Is, is it there in Gen Z's life or around you? I think that it is there and many Gen Z think Buddhism as a very positive thing mm. because it's not very compelling to you. Like it's not just do this thing, do this thing. They are just peaceful and that helps you find your inner peace by yourself. But for some of the religions, they feel more oppressed or suppressed because you have to go there by every Sunday or every Saturday. Mm even when you're busy as a modern society people and they have so much so much disciplines that are not, not really relevant to your real life mm. but many of my friends think as buddhism as a very positive and very peaceful thing because of like some sort of freedom that gives you and buddhists do not really um obsess over you to come to our religion or sort of thing Mm -hmm. like if you are to find buddhism you can find a way we don't really force you to do things Mm. so maybe that's why buddhism seems like a quiet religion Mm. in society I like the idea of the Gonde monk all mm. of a sudden because you don't normally associate Buddhism with Gondes or mm. like these boomers that, mm. that force you to, to do these various things. We were speaking to um, this psychologist yesterday and we was asking her and she was very open about her own depression and her own things, saying that it was part of her. And that's mm. why she spoke honestly about her troubles online. And she's saying, I've been depressed and I feel this and it's not bad. It's part of me. So she was doing that um yang. She mm. was in touch with herself. And she gave us this rule yesterday, which I thought was fascinating. You talked about the the golden mean or the doctrine Mm. of the mean there, Anton. You also have the golden rule that appears in many uh, religions. Mm. Do unto others uh, as Mm. you would. Her message was this. Treat yourself the way you treat other people. Mm. Because we're normally very nice to other people. Mm. We meet them. We smile. We shake their hands. Hi, how are you? Very nice. If we don't like them. Mm. And then we go home and we say, I'm such an idiot. I hate Mm. myself. And her, she just flipped it on her head Mm. and she said, treat yourself. Don't be rude to yourself. Mm. Treat yourself the way you treat other people. And I thought that was a fascinating reevaluation of some very long-standing wisdom there. True. Um, It depends, I guess, because my concern is more that people treat themselves a little bit too much um, and too much concerned with their own well-being, Mm. what 
we just heard uh, a little bit um, there and less concerned with uh, with others' um, uh, well-being and more detached uh, from other well-being. So, for example, when um, when first, uh, for example, in 2018, when uh, people from Yemen, 540 people from Yemen came, it was more young people out on the streets demonstrating mm. against uh, them coming here than older people. So there was um, this uh, overwhelming sense, I felt like, uh, we need to protect ourselves or look at what the doctors are doing now for example mm. you know like uh current government wants to increase the quota of, of doctors so to speak um and uh, uh to have especially more doctors in rural areas and things like that and we have an aging society we need doctors in this country mm. but all the doctors are like oh we're going on strike and so is this really to protect the people or to protect their privileges. Mm. I'm not sure, actually. I'm not an expert in this, uh, so maybe I'm, I'm on the wrong side of this discussion. I need to, maybe I should uh, dive deeper into this discussion before I, I talk on that. But you, you get the picture. So yeah. I think people overall, um, uh, and, and that's something that I feel, there's so much talk about equality and fairness in Korean society. And people say, like, they all you see people running around with these uh, kind of, uh, is it real work or just kind of like, kind of uh, not fully contracted work and things like mm -hmm. this you know mm -hmm. and and then people are granted uh like full work contracts and everybody is like not everybody like yeah that's a good start everybody like why did why did they get that mm -hmm. and i didn't get this mm -hmm. so people are very much concerned these days uh, not with the overall good unless it benefits themselves mm -hmm. Uh, and that is something I, I find uh, very alarming because um, if if people come from a war-torn country, you, you should say, okay, we can afford that, you know, to have a few people and give shelter. Mm -hmm. But people are on the streets demonstrating. And if people, uh, I'm demonstrating for the rights, for better workers' rights. But if mm -hmm. somebody else gets and I don't get it, then I'm against that again mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So I think this is very... Uh, something we should look at very carefully because um, do we really want good in the world or do we only want good if it is good for me? Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, that's something I, I, I felt a lot. And I think nobody's fr free from that, you know, like, uh, I mean, mm. I also treat myself and sometimes maybe I'm not 100% polite or I, I mistreat somebody or something like this. Or, uh, nobody's perfect, but we should always ask ourselves this question. And I think this is why, um, because what you just mentioned, oh, like treat others, uh, uh, treat yourself like others. Uh, mm. I don't think we treat ourselves so badly. Mm. Maybe I think more the opposite. Uh, we should uh, sometimes we should treat ourselves a little bit less good, mm -hmm. and and that doesn't mean harm ourselves or deprive ourselves. But look very hard in the mirror and look if this if you would like this person <laughs> if it was not you, <laughs> and if the decisions you are taking are really mm -hmm. uh, benefiting anybody except yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to look in the mirror sometimes, Anton. It's very difficult. When you were saying that, I mean, I, I loved when I was reading your book, watching and reading you explain not in my backyard in <laughs> Korean, because yeah. this is one of the things. We, we want good in the world, but I, I don't want that disabled school in my neighborhood. We want there to be peace and mm. happiness, but no refugees here, yeah. please. And, and the way you explain this, so I, I think this is a brilliant time, maybe just to do a very smooth segue and, and, and come to your <laughs> book here, which, uh, I've spoken to a couple of Korean people about this, and they said, 
I love the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we just maybe start with that, or or, or or what reactions you've gotten from this? Because my Korean teacher and people are like, I love that title. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's very attractive. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, yeah. that's good. Because I heard both things. I had also people. I did a, a film series on this on this book with mm. uh, with a major Korean uh, company, like a think tank. They do online uh, teaching material, so to speak, and and we talked about. And the producer said, oh, like, yeah, I loved your book, but I did, really didn't like the title. And <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh. yeah, I can understand it because actually that title I did not select. Um, okay. I wanted a different uh, title initially. And what kind of title were you going for originally? Can you remember? Yeah, um, basically, um, kind of if you translate it into English, like a stained happiness or something, like an or look in an oder. Um, like the, actually, the Korean title we thought of was like uh, almost like the uh, the operated happiness. So mm -hmm. you make something because Korea is so famous for for uh, for aesthetic surgery. Mm -hmm. So kind of the beauty is kind of created mm. but they thought the the um the publisher thought maybe this is too strong uh, but i didn't like the idea of isanghada uh, so much because isanghada has a negative connotation in in this kind of context i would say it's it's strange a little bit uh, mm. and uh, i i think it's a different kind of happiness and i wouldn't agree with all the aspects uh, of it um but they said this would be a good title and I and I understand that uh, that it would also be appealing. So to yeah. hear that it is yeah. appealing, uh, well, then they did a good job. Uh, I, I want to pick up on very quickly Isangan because um, Extraordinary Attorney U. Yeah. It's a K drama, but in extraordinary, yeah. in special, but in Korean, that was Isangan yeah, Pyeongsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. How does Isangan work? Is it always, does it mean like weird, strange? Does it have a positive nuance sometimes, like in this context, Uyong uh. Not really. It has like double-sided meaning because like there is Korean slang that 참 이상해, which mm. means like, mm. oh, how can I explain this feeling? Yeah. Like even when you are in love or even mm. when you have to do something, and then you can say ah 이상해, mm. kind like casually, but you can mean strange or weird with 이상한. Mm. But when I first came up with your um, book title, mm. when I just saw your book, mm. I thought that 이상한 doesn't mean really bad, strange, mm. or bad, weird. It just made me curious about what happiness is something weird or 이상한. What is, mm. what is 이상한 mm. that he meant? Mm. Yeah, it's a nice contrast because yeah. 이상하다, weird, strange. Uh, uh, how can happiness be weird or strange? Happiness mm. should be always positive. And so I think that's why they came up with this title. And I also liked it in the end. Um, but initially, I had this feeling um, that it almost is a little bit offensive in a, in a certain way mm -hmm. and I didn't want that uh, to happen. I know there are parts in this book which maybe Korean people depending on, on their perspective on things find offensive but um, uh, in a way or that bugs them a little bit um, and that can't be avoided I think you know um, that sometimes uh, people perceive things but my general idea was as I also say in the introduction it is, it is kind of a uh, sweet bitter love letter actually uh, to Korea because I wouldn't have written this book um, if I wouldn't love Korea uh, mm. with all my heart because it's really um, it's uh, saying the things that need to be said and, and to be honest uh, with somebody that you love. I think that is a true expression of love, not always saying everything is great, everything is so super and all the time and mm -hmm. and never, uh, you know, addressing uh, uh, the, the 
the demons or, or, or the ugly things in the room. Uh, if you if you don't do that, then you're not a good friend or a good lover or uh, mm. or whatever it is. Uh, so this is me trying to to point out um, uh, some of the things that I've seen over the last 30 years and where I think change went maybe in the wrong direction and and also giving a few ideas or hints how uh, we can remedy maybe some of the problems. Yeah. It's very interesting because it's easy to do the kukbong narrative. It's easy to do the Korean number one sparkling and, and Korean mm. people will generally love you for that. Yeah. And they will clap, but you, you didn't do that. You were willing to, to show the demons and things like this. There, there are many topics in this. Was there was there one that you thought this really needs to be said? And the one that you think it might change over time sometimes or you sure. have conversations, um, but you're hitting basically every hot topic about Korean society. <laughs> this is not just about family but this is family and education and, and, and money and marriage and love uh, and even the home and cooking and all of these things w was there one that you thought I, 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 we need to say this even though it's not a secret or anything but I think the longest chapter is about education mm -hmm. and um, people always ask me if you could change one thing in the country what would it be I think it would be the education because it uh, I come from an education family both my parents were teachers mm -hmm. and uh, I also came here and I taught at university I taught at schools and and I'm teaching now to some extent you know giving lectures or coming to these kind of talks yeah. is, is, is to some way it's all part of teaching but um, so um, teaching is very is a very powerful tool, and we talked about Taekwondo. I, uh, that's how I came to Korea. You can mm. change people mm. with teaching, um, but if you start the wrong teachings with children, mm. if you force children into something that they don't want to be, if you teach them materialism, if you teach them the wrong things, mm. then uh, it's very very difficult to remedy some of these effects later. So if we want to have a better society, we need to start with teaching and education. And education to me is not only what happens in school or university, but it's what your parents tell you about what is valuable in life, what you should aim for in life. Um, and uh, so, yeah, education and all that belongs to this topic of education uh, is the one thing uh, where is the only chance I think where we can really change the system but it's also the most difficult thing to change because Korean people are so obsessed with the current system they're mm. having and even though most Koreans would even agree that the Korean system uh, of education is screwed up uh, but still again not in my backyard kind of like okay we should change this but my kids are still in this system so let's wait until my kids are out and then yeah. you can change it all you want mm. um, so Everybody has invested already so much of their time and money into this system, even though they understand it's bad, that they feel, oh, a, a terrible sense of loss if, if things would be changed now. And so this brings us back to the point of, like, do you want real good education or only good education if it benefits your kids and or something? Uh, is there a sense that the, I agree with you, is there a sense also among some Koreans that the education, as bad as it might be, that it works to a certain extent, that it's helped raise the country out of poverty, that you've gone from a very illiterate society to, I know standardized testing is a very hot button topic, but in like the PISA things, we see the OECD averages going down. We see literary rates, uh, literacy rates in Europe and things like that going down. Here in Korea, like people can read and write and things like that. Is there a sense that, yeah, it sucks, but it works? Or is that is that not a valid argument or pushback? It works for something. But my argument is always, does it work for happiness? Mm -hmm. uh, if, uh, To me, happiness is the goal of life. Mm -hmm. 
if it works to make you rich but unhappy, uh, like uh, strongly put, yeah, it works. Mm -hmm. um, because we've seen the incredible success story and the education system surely f to some extent mm -hmm. has, uh, has something to do with that. Uh, you cannot take the education system out of the success story of Korea. My problem is mm -hmm. that because of this in intertwinement between the education and the success story, it's part of the misery. Mm. Um, and it perpetuates itself. It's it's uh, because it's such a long process. Like, um, and education is linked to housing. Mm. Education is linked to birth rate. Uh, education is linked to all the kind of problems that we are having right now. So, if you want to take out one, you can't take without influencing all the others. Yeah. Mm. So the trouble is all of the major problems you have in Korea. That's not okay. This is this problem. Let's do this first, and then we do the other. That's not how it works. Everything is intertwined. Mm. And uh, that makes it so incredibly difficult. But I would say education is at the heart of it. Mm. Because education is also that teaches us you have to be number one. You have to go to this universe. You And happiness comes from being a doctor and a lawyer. And, and why? Because you want to help people? Because you want to judge people? No, no, no. Because that's where the money comes from. Mm. So at the core of things is you have to be successful to have more money. Mm. And money will give you happiness. And that is a lie. Mm. And we can only change it if we start with the education process. That you have to come back to a life where be a decent person. Mm. Not just a successful person. Uh, a decent and happy person. Even though you might have less money. Uh, if you travel in India or Southeast Asia, you will meet a lot of people who have much, much less money than the average Korean. Mm. But they seem much more happy and much more content and they are much more polite and they are much more willing to give you something or invite you to their home or things like that. I have had so many incredible experiences on my journeys. Mm. Um, uh, uh, just right now, just weeks ago, I was in Southeast Asia and uh, I had several experiences that had moved me deeply mm -hmm. uh, because from people who don't earn a fraction of the money that I earn. And so it really humbled me again uh, mm -hmm. to see these people, their generosity and their 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 politeness and, and things like that, which was very genuine. Um, and uh, so, yes, to come back to your question, of course the education system works in this whole machinery of Korea. Mm. But is the output of this machinery the output that we are actually aiming for? Mm. So I would rather be not literate and happy <laughs> than mm. uh, reading all the books and be miserable, mm. you know? Mm. So that, that is the question that we have to ask mm. ourselves. Um, uh, and in that sense, I think the Korean education system is a failure. Mm. I agree with you because most of the Korean students are told that if you study hard enough and go to elite university, you will get happy when you turn 20. <laughs> Those kind of myths. Mm -hmm. And I finished my high school years and I came to university. Am I happy? Not really. And and then adults would say that if you go to like elite companies, you will be happy. And what next? Marriage or something? Mm -hmm. Then And then I should search for another happiness. It's mm -hmm. not very, it's very endless. It's, yeah. yeah. The ideal happiness does not really exist. It's a lie, as you tell. And Korean people tend to um, make a link between education and everything. If you have problem in your adulthood, then 
it's because you didn't study enough in your <laughs> student <laughs> era. Yeah. If, if you didn't go to like elite university, it's because you didn't study well. If you didn't find the love of your life, it's because you didn't study blah, blah, blah kind mm. of stuff. So I agree with you. You know, there's a famous image uh, of this donkey mm. uh, and a carrot dangling right in front yeah. of him, you know, on a stick. So it's always right there. <laughs> but they can never reach it because yeah, yeah, with yeah. every meter they uh, advance, the carrot also advances uh, because it's uh, attached to a stick, yeah. uh, which is attached to themselves. So uh, that is exactly what you're just describing, right? It's yeah, always yeah, yeah. the carrot is always there, this happiness, this bliss, but it's always there. You can almost see it, but you can never reach it because yeah. the more you advance, it's always the next thing. And so we have to cut through this, and and uh, that is hard, and it takes courage. And is painful and frightening, and and it's all of these things, but it's the only way. Mm. <laughs> um, it's the only way. Um, and I wish there would be an easy way out, or like, oh yeah, it was so easy. My life was also not easy to get where I am now. And people say like, oh, you you might, maybe you have this nice house, or you have this good life for yourself. And yeah, it's easy for you to say, you know. And so like. Yeah, I didn't. Nobody gave this to me, you know. I I worked hard on these things, and and uh, I choose a path. I went to Korea as a young man, and everybody said you're crazy, you know. But I took a one-way ticket to Korea uh, uh, to study Buddhism, and I I just never followed the money. I always followed what I believe was right, mm. and money followed me to some extent. I'm by no means rich or anything, but I'm doing okay. And I can afford uh, to have uh, sometimes good meals or to travel somewhere. I have enough money uh, so that I can live a comfortable life. I don't need a Ferrari or any uh, Learjets or anything of that sort. I'm very content with what I have. Um, uh, but the thing is, I never aimed for these things. They kind of rather followed me mm. uh, because I choose the path that I wanted to go. And that was often frightening because I, I ventured into when I came to Korea and when I said I, I'll move to Korea and I, I start my own company. I could have worked maybe for a German company, a uh, famous car company or chemical company. And I might, I might earn more money than I earn now and I have a comfortable living in, in, a, in a nice high rise in Seoul somewhere or something like this. But I never have chosen this path. Um, and I think I'm more happy because I have chosen this path. But it's not an easy thing. And, and you have to have the courage and you have to be willing to endure and face your own fears. Your fears of failure, your fears of loneliness, your fear of uh, maybe poverty if things don't work out uh, the way you want them to do. And uh, people always try to avoid pain and, and, and things they're afraid of. But this means that we build a prison around ourselves and this prison walls... They are made out of our own fears. Mm. So you're the only one who can tear them down. How does changing... I'm suddenly very motivated. <laughs> <laughs> you're great at this. How does changing the education work? Because if we agree, and Yunso does, and I'm sure many would agree with your diagnosis of the problems, that it's, it's focused on goals rather than that are unattainable and always giving this carrot, the university, the job and things like this that never satiate people. What's really interesting in your book is that you do, and, and you've just said, you, you learn lessons from Oman, you learn lessons from Southeast Asia, you learn lessons from uh, countries that are far less economically developed than South Korea. How does the change in education 
take place? Is is it a policy thing? Is it a case that Korea needs to learn to accept that other countries have something to teach it? And these countries might not always be this kind of, you know, Mm. look to the West and that look what Harvard does or something like Mm. this. But there are lessons elsewhere. If your diagnosis is correct, what next? It's very difficult because, like I said, it's such a multifaceted uh, issue, the whole education issue. But um, sometimes people say, okay, if you want to fix the education, like, what should we do? And uh, I always say, like, you know, uh, if I would be president, I would just like, no more hagwons. Hagwons are forbidden, you know, like, and everyone like, ooh. And I said, no, okay, okay, I know I can't do that. But but it it goes a little bit in this direction because Mm -hmm. first, children need time to play. Yes and children need free time. But of course, this brings us to the problem, uh, what do the parents, how do the parents take care of them? They have to work. Now, just recently, the government said, uh, just today, if you read the newspaper, it's like uh, a primary school until eight in the evening. From seven in the morning, it's until eight in the evening. That's 13 hours for primary children. Are you insane? That is the solution to the birth rate? Are you serious? So we're moving in the wrong direction uh, and we need uh, we need more support for parents um, and we need more um, children to be happy. And uh, I think a lot of the reason and that's what also people told me, why don't if I asked young, uh, young people, why don't you want to have children? And I said, like, you know, I've been through hell. I don't want to send anybody through the hell I went through. Mm. So first we have Mm. to remove the hell things then people and also a second thing is um what really struck me and really uh, i was in sejong city there's a think tank there thinking about the uh, uh demography things and and so on and so on and so and i talked to this guy and i said like why why don't young people want to have children and he said you know they don't see family as something positive mm. the notion of family which is such a crucial part of of Korea I always thought and the bonding and family sticks together and you have to be a family and family is everything their perception of family is uh, not very positive it's just the the father is always gone somewhere the mother just drives them from one hagwon to the next Mm -hmm. and uh, and actually in Korea because of pedio so uh, this kind of feeling that uh, you shouldn't burden anybody with everything you never talk to your parents about anything important uh not if you're depressed or um uh, or if you have a boyfriend a girlfriend or uh, if you <laughs> discover that you like the same sex or something you would never talk to your parents about those things uh, they are probably the last people to know about it so there is no trust uh, there is no deep uh, connection in many families anymore mm. as it mm. used to be. Mm. And so young, pe- he said, you know, young, young, for young people like this, oh, I want to have a family. And they're like, yeah, family? Yeah, I can totally live without that. Mm. Uh, and I was like, oh, Jesus. Well, then we then we screwed up. Mm. If, if the concept of family is not a positive notion anymore, uh, oof, then we need to fix that. Um, uh, and like I said, it's intertwined with uh, with education. And I don't know really where to start. At the end of the day, what I'm trying also with this book or um, talking to people, giving lectures and, and things like this is reevaluate your life and think about your life. And you can start with your children. Mm. I educate my son different. He basically doesn't go to Hagwans. Mm. And I had a few battles with my wife because like, how oh, is he going to, you know, later uh, uh, compete? And I said, like, trust me. Mm. 
he's gonna be more creative he's gonna be uh, he has so many experiences uh, uh, he traveled a lot with us he has seen so many things that is the currency mm-hmm. actual CEOs want to see not somebody who has good test results through repetition mm-hmm. um, and of course he has the global stage uh, to, to find a job later in life as any Korean who speaks English has uh, uh, but so I start to change my, to try to change things with lectures, books, yeah. and most of all with how I educate my own son. Mm. And that's where it starts. Do you, do you argue about what time your son goes to bed? I'm just curious from a personal one because we mm. have similar conversations, me and my wife, about mm. the hug ones and the, the hapkido and the piano and the violin and the swimming and, mm. and all of this. Um, I completely agree. Kids shouldn't be in school till eight. <laughs> Get them yeah. home at lunchtime. Your bedtime always weirded me out here. I I, yeah. I, I I came from a society where young children go to bed at seven thirty eight. Exactly, and, uh, and and that's it. Here they're running around till. It's crazy, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, our son is now fifteen. Now he goes to bed at nine thirty or something or ten. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, but before it used to be seven. 7.30, so it, every year he gets like about half an hour or more, but when he was in primary school or something, it was mm. definitely 7, 7.30, boom, uh, off to bed. Mm-hmm. There are no late hug ones. He, he, he likes to uh, do badminton or something, so mm. I don't consider that a hug one uh, as such because it's, it's something he likes to do. And he, for some reason, uh, beyond my, <laughs> my comprehension, he likes math. I hate math. Um, uh, so he, he does attend, um, or he used to attend, uh, 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 math, a uh, hug one. Mm. But I always told him, if you don't want to go at any time anymore, uh, I'll fight it out with your mom. Um, but from my side, you don't have to go. Because I always say, like, you know, how, no matter how, how much math you study, my iPhone will always be faster than you. But if you... <laughs> If you study something that, um, for example, like badminton, my iPhone can play badminton. Mm-hmm. My iPhone can swim. Mm-hmm. And so physical education uh, is always something that is good. Uh, no computer, no AI can do that for you. Uh, so health, invest in yourself and in, in that. And the second thing is learn things that AI and, and computers and smartphones can't do. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things. Um, uh, languages, AI is getting better, obviously, in translating. But if you look at the current uh, translation programs between English and Korean, whew, lucky they're still very messy. Yeah. And uh, maybe in 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, uh, we don't need to learn languages to the extent anymore. But it will always be, if you have a loved one with a different culture, or if it will always be a different feeling to speak in your phone and have your phone translate mm-hmm. instead of... Uh, talking to um, uh, talking to somebody so there are a lot of skills I think that you can learn uh, languages uh, philosophy uh, uh, and all of these things which uh, smartphones and AIs uh, won't be able to do for a long time or maybe never and so I would always say invest in in, in those things and um, so uh, how do Korean m- people <laughs> respond to this because it's, yeah. it's great that you you live the life it's not hypocritical we we can always yeah. have some Jordan Malison in society and then yeah. go and do these things none of us are perfect but you 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 lead that life and, and you encourage your child your son to also live that life how do Korean people when you tell them about this like no hug ones if I were president like mm. we get rid of these we we, mm. we change all these do Korean people in general we can't generalize them all but do they look at you like you're crazy. Do they listen to you and go, that's a really good idea, but we can't do it because of these reasons? How, how, do, how do they resonate? Yeah, I mean, first, mostly they kind of agree. Mm. Uh, if I say, like, this is how it is and tell me it's not, uh, I'm, I'll, I'm happy to be uh, standing here corrected if you uh, tell me I'm wrong. Mm. 
but they say no 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 you're actually right but it can't be changed for this this reason and then i said uh, yeah well but i'm you know i'm starting with my son to to make a difference uh, mm -hmm. and i said yeah because you know you're a foreigner and you know and your son also you know can he speaks german he speaks english so he can go anywhere but our kids you know we're stuck in korea here and and i said of course i would never say it's the same no it's not the same uh, my son has an has an advantage because he's uh, 15 he's learning his fourth language now um, um, and he has seen a, a lot more than most of these mm -hmm. kids have seen or something so it's not the same no but we don't live in the stone ages anymore right and there are airplanes and there are scholarships and there so and people do go abroad so we live in a globalized world. If they, if the kids really want to go abroad, then they should uh, invest more in English skill. And I mean, not uh, memorizing vocabulary, but actually speaking English um, and learning languages or uh, uh, other languages, um, uh, for example. Just today, for example, funny thing, I had lunch with a guy, a Portuguese guy. Mm. And he speaks fluent German. And so so we're talking all the time in German. And at some point I said, like, oh, I completely forgot to ask because it comes around so natural, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you're from Lisbon, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm from Lisbon. So one of your parents is, is German or something? Why is your German school? And he's like, no, no, no. Both my parents are Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And I said, so where's your German from? Oh, we have a German school in Lisbon. It had a good reputation, so my parents sent me to German school. <laughs> so until until the age of 18 or 19, I, I studied in German school. Mm -hmm. uh, so... You know, and there he is, a Portuguese guy uh, speaking uh, fluent German. Yeah. So it's it's possible. And back then, because he went to school maybe 30, 40 years ago, he yeah. was uh, almost my age, uh, so close uh, close to 50. And, and so this was a long time ago. That time, Portugal was not a top-notch country or anything, mm -hmm. but it was possible. And there's a German school here, too, in, in mm -hmm. Seoul. And there are different schools, a French school and so on and so on. So if you want to make a change, it's possible. So my main problem is excuses. People like, for example, they see my house and say, oh, it's a dream house. I want to live in that kind of house. And I said, like, you own an apartment in Seoul, right? You know <laughs> that if you sell that apartment and come down here to Gwangju, mm. <laughs> where I live, you could buy a bigger house than this one with your apartment money. And they said, yeah, but I can't leave Seoul. I said, okay, then, you know, then obviously it's not really your dream. Your dream is living in Seoul. Mm. And if you could get a nice house on the side, that would be. Uh, but your true dream mm. is not this house or this uh, or or something like this. That people are, ah, oh, that's my dream, but I can't. Well, then obviously it's not your dream. Mm. And and I think that's kind of the thing that people make excuses. So when I come back to your question, what do people say? They mostly agree, but they mostly give me all the kind of reasons why it's different for them and why they can't educate their their kids different because it would disadvantage them or something. My very close South African friend, Christoph, uh, he sent, so his kids speak Afrikaans, English, and Korean. He sent his son to German school. Mm. He sent his daughter to the French school. He mm. said, Dad, I can't speak it. Well, you're going to learn. And yeah. he just, off you go. Uh, and I love that about it. There was one line in your book that it was one of the first ones I underlined was that people would rather be unhappy in Seoul than happy outside of Seoul. And I read that <laughs> and I underlined it. And I asked my Korean teacher and she was like, is <laughs> like this and I was like wow it makes sense when we were coming over here you and so I was learning a little bit a bit a bit more about your education mm -hmm. and how students like sign up for their classes and things like this but your your education and your parents and, and, and what's going on with you 
is a little bit different from the normal thing, something like that? I think so, because yeah. my parents is the type of parents who highlights happiness over education, just like you. Mm -hmm. And they just want me to stay healthy and happy. And then then I can be like, um, it is okay to be like not in the top tier university when you're happy. And the happiness is not really related to the money or the education tiers or the job that you have. And not very much of my family, friends, family was type of that parents because they believed that if you get more money, you get more happy. If you get the top tier university, you get, you'll get more happier. So there are some of the stereotypical tiger moms mm. of my friends. And some of them really succeeded to go to top tier universities that you can imagine of. Mm. Um, but not all of them seems happy, but not all of them seems unhappy. Mm. And I can be unhappy too, but yeah, I can be happy as them are happy. Like, mm. you know what I'm talking about? The mm. happiness, the things, yeah. But it's the parenting. So so you're, you're young, you're 19, you've not been abroad, you've mm. done it all here, you don't go to a top tier university but you're relatively happy, you're dating, mm. you're doing all these things, and it comes from the parents' influence. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be that that's the important thing. Very lot. Yeah. Were your parents teachers? Or? Um, no. No? Okay. <laughs> there is a future here. And Absolutely. What, what I just want to point about that is sometimes we hear the horror stories or, mm. or we hear the very extreme parts of society, um, and, and sometimes there's this whole like silent majority of people, mm. not not all of it, and I'm, I'm not mm. trying to to defend it, but just hearing Yunso's like what she was telling me about how she goes through is like some people are going to survive, some people are going to yeah. make it through. And, and I think also that the um, the changes where uh, the storm that will come <laughs> to this country to to be a little over dramatic, yeah, yeah. it will change people and it makes a uh, crisis makes uh, people rethink their position for example you have all these gucci bags and all these louis vuitton clothing and something mm -hmm. and then you suddenly get really sick and i mean not death not even like a, a cancer or something but you really feel sick and you have to lie down you don't care at all about all the good things you have all you want is a friend or your parents come over to take care of you and make a little soup for you mm -hmm. so it comes back crisis makes you rethink um, your original value and uh, and uh, for example or you if more extreme you're on your deathbed mm -hmm. and so that like okay uh, should I bring your wife to the bed or your Ferrari from the garage or whatever <laughs> you know like uh, to be next to you mm -hmm. Would you have your old, maybe by that time, ugly wife next to you or your uh, your funky Ferrari if you have the money to own such a thing? Uh, I think 99% would choose uh, this ugly long-time companion wife, which is a lot of wrinkles by now and, and stuff, over the fanciest car or diamond rings because mm. all these things can't give you happiness. So crisis makes you sort out your priorities again. Mm. So a crisis can be a, very, uh, can be a cleaning process. Mm. I believe that uh, in latest 15 to 20 years, uh, Korean society will change dramatically because due to the uh, low birth rate, um, there will be not enough people to, to pay taxes. So the kind of wealth 
society that we have, I think, will uh, uh, will crumble to some extent. Uh, mm. I don't think it's a sustainable concept right now because unless the birth rate goes up dramatically, which is a very very unlikely scenario, um, then uh, by the time in about uh, 20 years or so, we mm. have a huge group of elderly people who need uh, with big medical bills and very few young people mm. to actually support it in comparison. So uh, what we're seeing to uh, with the start of what we see now will go up dramatically uh, fast. So Korea will become poorer by you think? Yes, I, I, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because I think just uh, the system is not sustainable uh, at this point. So it's not gonna I don't think it's gonna collapse because it's a slow motion process. Um, but people will have to adjust and you can already feel this now slightly that uh, for example, the cost of living really goes up and people start to to uh, to to check like yesterday, I was in a big uh, mart. Uh, near our house and it was empty you know it's like people are not shopping anymore and I looked at the goods and I was like okay I eat less today uh, <laughs> it was so incredibly expensive and but so the cost of living goes up um, uh, the house prices uh, uh, all the the food and everything uh, labor cost uh, also goes up so going to the restaurant becomes more expensive and so on and so on but uh, the wages don't go up in, in the same way uh, so what can the government do they need to increase taxes over time to be able to pay the bills uh, for the elderly people mm. and so I think this uh, crisis that will come will clean out a little bit maybe this materialism and people will start to realize that um, uh uh, there are uh, other values, and we have to uh, re-examine our way of life and things mm -hmm. like that. It, that is the positive outcome. We have seen a, a major global crisis, um, like when Corona started. I thought this could also be a cleansing uh, experience, and but it was very disappointing. It it really rather reinforced. Uh, um, it brought the world not closer together, but further apart. And mm. but I think Korea maybe can pull this off. Um, there's a famous comic novel uh, no, uh, called The Watchmen. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's I think from a Britain, a British. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's I think from as as far as I know, it's the only in the in the list of hundred most important books of, of humankind. It's the only comic book in there. I bought it for my nephew. I haven't read it. <laughs> oh, I really? bought it for him. I, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, you should read it. Uh, it's 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 quite an uh, it's a fascinating work. And yeah. um, the idea of it is that at the end of the day, they create an artificial crisis. Um, uh, so like a fake al alien attack which ne never happened but they mm -hmm. kind of created uh, with the hope that humankind will come together because now they have a common outside enemy mm -hmm. so all the struggles that all the nations had that was the kind of basic idea that's why this was created the scenario so that the, the people would come together and I thought uh, when Corona started and everywhere it, I mean Korea had a prime spot right here it was one of the first nations where it really blew up and and I thought wow 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 when they started to go all around the world I thought maybe this is the kind of crisis which brings the people closer it's everybody is affected it's kind of an alien invasion and we all have to work together to overcome this and man was I wrong um everybody just like oh more more medicine for me not for you more for me and and all of these and the whole plastic surgery went up yeah during the covid pandemic <laughs> which i thought was hilarious yeah hilarious and i thought i'm gonna get my nose done yeah and <laughs> and mask and still so many people wear masks and this kind of people before corona and after corona korea um changed a lot but so not every crisis has mm. to be a cleaning or a helpful uh, thing um but it can be. 
So um, I hope that the crisis uh, which is coming for Korea uh, economically and with age uh, development and things like this, which will be far worse, I expect, than uh, what we had seen with Corona, could be a, a cleansing process where people reevaluate your life. And, and then it's people like you and uh, like-minded people who have to lead the way and, and say, like, okay, we've been preparing for this and we... Um, uh, this is the way we have followed. Uh, maybe to some extent was wrong. Mm -hmm. It has led us to this position. It has led us to where people don't want to have children anymore. Uh, where material goods define who we are and uh, define our class. Okay, this has led us into this abyss uh, where we're now. If we want to get out of it, we need to make changes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I said, I hope this will come. And I, maybe I hope we'll we'll live to see it. Some European socialism, something like that. Is that is this pointing on the right door where you say, well, the rich people need to give up a little bit of this. We need to foster a little bit more community. We need to to share it around economically, and that's a real tangible thing that that governments can do. It's never going to be very popular if a government comes out and say, rich people, sixty mm. percent, please, mm. something like this, because Europe has experienced tax tax levels that high. Yeah. Um, I'm just because I, I sometimes think, Anton, that in the next couple of decades, some of the most hyper individualistic places in the world will be China, Japan, South Korea, mm. because I see the young people and the textbooks will tell you that this is a collectivist place and things mm. like that. But I can see it becoming hyper individualistic. Yeah. Here. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe not for the better, maybe not for the better. Have you read just recently? It was also in the Korean press. Um, there was this. There's a report that IKEA yeah. uh, does um, every year, and it's about uh, living in your home. And it's uh, so they ask people around the world where they sell IKEA goods mm -hmm. um, about how they uh, the things they like to do at home and things like that. And Korea had top spots in all of the categories. You don't want to have it. Um, and so like. What is your the happiest thing you want to do at your house? It's like um, uh, sleeping, uh, sleeping. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, like this was much more popular than sp spending time with your family uh, or with your friends, and uh, and things were also like uh, also also kind of other uh, things that you want to do or what is uh, you know what is the happiest thing and all of these things and I was like oh my goodness you know like um, Korean people feel alone. Alone and sleeping is the happiness uh, is the greatest happiness that you can have. That kind of combination. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to meet your friends. Mm -hmm. You don't want to meet your family. You don't want to go outside anywhere. You want to be at home, mm -hmm. alone, and perfectly sleeping. Um, and that's uh, and that's where we come to. So. Um, I, I, I said in my book, I think uh, like Korea is more of an out house, outside the house uh, culture and European are more, uh, for example, in-house. So you invite friends to your house, your girlfriend and boyfriend, and, and you have meetings with your family. Here, everything is done outside, meetings in the coffee shop and, and so on and so on. I think I have to revise that slightly because now people order from home. They don't go out to uh, food. They don't go shopping anymore. Not mm. to, Everything is done by the internet. If possible, through apps, you can... Everything is delivered to your house and people try to leave the house as little as possible if they can. And uh, But it's not what I actually meant with this comparison because I meant that Korean people don't really have this uh, 
feeling family coming to my house, friends coming to my house, and spending a lot of time, uh, private time inside my house. But if they, I have friends that I know for 20 years, and I have never seen their house. Um, in Germany, that would be unthinkable, you know. Right. Like, uh, uh, so everybody that I would call a friend knows my house. What, what do you think? is the reason for it for not seeing the house because i i, I don't imagine it's embarrassment of the house itself because mm. sometimes people might have nice house is it what, what do you think because i i agree with you 100 percent. Mm. house parties dinner parties come around let's have coffee it's very common in europe other parts of the world here in south korea i never stepped foot in my wife's house until the day we were married it was only after we were married that i was allowed inside yeah. and once we were married i could go in and put my feet up on the sofa i yeah. never had to walk into the kitchen <laughs> the, there's a huge change between you're not part of our family mm. to now Mando yeah. do as you please why do you think that this exists that there's this in-house outhouse thing going on it's very difficult to pinpoint but I don't know. I think it actually comes from, from, from shame because usually Korea used to be very poor and mm. houses was not a nice place for most people. If you don't have a nice Yangban house, so to speak, mm. like your house was uh, almost a shack. And, and, and so showing your house um, uh, usually meant uh, showing part of your poverty. And it is like the predecessor of the SNS uh, avatar that you create. You can go out in a fancy suit with a nice car and project this image of uh, being successful and rich, mm -hmm. but your house is actually a little shack. Uh, because, but you don't care because you never have to show it to anybody, mm -hmm. right? But your car and your suit and your shoes and your Rolex or something, everybody can see. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only time you get usually invited to houses is housewarming parties. Yeah. So uh, when the apartment is completely completely new and nothing has been touched yet so it's clean uh, as a whistle and everything is nice and neat mm. then they bring you to the house one time show you around and maybe have a little bit of food and then uh, out because one year later or so it will be you know the kids uh, have messed up uh, everything and it will not be that clean and yeah. nice an environment anymore and um, so yeah I think that people uh, prefer to meet in a fancy restaurant in a nice coffee shop or something in an environment they don't uh, where where basically it's fancy and nice and where they can choose how it is but inviting people at house uh, means you have to clean up you have to uh, mm. you know um, there's something very interesting well. <laughs> that Korean people do as soon as they get home which is they get changed mm. there's yeah. outside clothes yeah. and as soon as you get in like yeah. get changed and like you, you, you might have a shirt on you might have jeans on and, and Back in the UK, I don't mean to compare it, but we'd sit around at home in jeans and a shirt, and some people even have their shoes on inside. Right. Soon as you get home in Korean, you just get dressed, and there is you're in shorts and t-shirts. You sat mm. around on the floor. You're in your pajamas whenever mm. you're at home, and maybe that's tied into it. There's a certain um, aesthetic or cleanliness to it, which mm. makes sense because you're not traipsing the outside dirt around. Yeah. But whenever people come over to visit in Korea, I'm like make sure you bring shorts and t-shirt yeah you're gonna be sat around on the floor on yeah. sofas in the house yeah there's that aspect to it as well i think yeah it's interesting basically i've become very korean in a sense you do the I'm same not, do I, i'm <laughs> not wearing pajamas but i do have my house uh, yeah. set of clothing yeah. which are a little bit more comfortable um i would say and also i do cooking and so i wouldn't want to you know stand with yeah. my shirt uh, and, and start cooking um, um, and things like that so uh, or do the gardening with that uh, kind of clothing so but for me it's also to have a little bit of a separation because I, I travel a lot and I'm, I spend a lot of time outside of my house being on business trips within Korea or outside mm -hmm. of Korea so coming home and having this kind of okay this is my space but of course but I still more have an in-house um, 
culture. So in the sense that I always invite people to come to my house uh, for dinner uh, or even stay. We have uh, uh, when I designed our house, I specifically created a, a guest room mm -hmm. with its own bath so that we always have an extra room for guests. Um, that's part of, of also our house philosophy. No fences around our house, a guest room uh, with their own baths so that uh, anybody can walk in, mm -hmm. uh, basically. Uh, we also have no curtains, uh, lots of windows, but no curtains. So everybody can look inside if they want to. Everybody can walk into our house, basically, yeah. if they want to. And there's a guest room if you want to stay. So... Um, the no curtains perturbs me. As, yeah. a, as an Englishman, we're always closing. I know. The, the Germans the mostly too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they build these nice houses with huge windows yeah. uh, and then they pull down the curtains and you never uh, can look inside. But I have nothing to hide. And uh. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I think that Korean um, outhouse culture and home alone place can be true at the same time. So you don't have to revise because mm. maybe Korean people do things outdoors so they just want to leave their home as a like black and white the work and non-work mm, place yeah so i think that it just makes sense at the same time but still even if it was work and non-work which is also a little bit for me the case that's why also you know at home i i work a lot at home i'm, I'm a little bit of a workaholic but uh, but still i try to through the, you know, uh, taking off my watch and, and things like this, putting on more comfortable clothes, mm. not my pajamas, but something more comfortable. <laughs> You're really uh, offended by that pajama. No, 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 no. I just, I just, I don't own pajamas. Um, um, uh, but the, that it feels a little bit of the, of the separation. But at the same time, I always happy to, to invite people. So, mm. uh, but I invite not people for work. I invite friends sometimes, of course, also maybe business partners or something like this, or sometimes, um, I have uh, like people from from companies from abroad come and they say like uh, uh, the weekend, uh, you know, they have we have some appointments Thursday, Friday and the next Monday, Tuesday. And I said, you know what, on the weekend, I could leave you in your in your sorry hotel room in Seoul. But no, you're going to come down to Gwangju and we'll have uh, throw some meat on the barbecue mm. and we have uh, you, you get in, into the guest room or something. So mm. I think that this sense of letting people in and, and welcoming people to your house, that is, is uh, very important. And that is something that Koreans are very restrictive on, mm. I would say. Um, they don't let you easily into their house. Many house parties? Um, one of my friends is very open to invite us to her house, but mm. not all of them, not all of us are willing to bring friends to home because for me, my room is not really tidy to invite <laughs> my friends. So it's the shame. <laughs> yeah, it's the shame, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to be seen as a very... I want to show them mm. uh, aesthetic room, mm. but my room is not very aesthetic for mm. me to share mm. with them. And I want my place to be my place, my own place, mm. the place to rest. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes mm. Koreans just make appointments with friends, which is another schedule, not just a ledger. Mm. So I think that, I personally think that many Koreans have many different opinions, but for me, I think that my home should be my place. Mm. And I think a lot of it comes down to we all want people all want to live in Seoul and it becomes this vortex that sucks everybody mm. in the Tenderson's old word. But you've escaped that. <laughs> yeah, you have. I mean, you've I done you, you've yeah. done the Guangzhou. I, I try to do it as much as we can. Our, our kids are raised also in the countryside and I see the beauty of living amongst the mountains, being able to see the horizon, mm. not having 
traffic all over the place. Do you have any observations on this soul being this vortex that sucks everybody in? You said you went down to Sejong, a city is mm. a think tank. That yeah. was one attempt. Um, <laughs> they tried to impeach Nomufian, I think, about yeah. that for making a new capital, saying it was unconstitutional. But the role of Seoul uh, in all of this, because you also talk about Germany having big cities, mm. uh, other big cities, and in the UK as well, London is a big place, but mm. Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, right. Nottingham, etc. Any observations on that, Anton, how it works with them? Sure, like you quoted me earlier when I said like people prefer to be unhappy in Seoul than being happy outside of Seoul. And, and, and I think this is, um, uh, there's a sad truth uh, to it, but it wasn't always like that. And uh, Seoul has developed uh, into this kind of magnet. And it also has a little bit to do, I think, with real estate that uh, people believed uh, like you can buy an apartment and two years later it's double the money. And, and mm. so it always would go up this kind of uh, bubble. And then all the good universities there and all the good companies are there. B companies used to be, you know, um, used to be at different places. Samsung is not from Seoul and 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 uh, Kia or something. They're not from Seoul and uh, Asiana and or Kumo Group so they're they're from Guangzhou, for example, and and but uh, um, they all these companies they moved to Seoul eventually during the dictatorship uh, period uh, to become developed, and then suddenly everything seemed to happen in Seoul. Mm. Um, but uh, this idea of Bunkwon to 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 separate to break up uh, this thing, like with the conglomerates, you mm. you have to break them up. Um, they were a, a useful tool to develop Korea, but now they have kind of become the demon that haunts us, you know, the, uh, um, uh, uh, because, uh, yeah, the devils that you called, you know, like uh, calling them is one thing, getting rid of them is another thing. And, yeah. and uh, with the conglomerates, you have this issue and Seoul is a little bit like that too. It has developed its own life and it sucks people in and it sucks them out and spits them out dry. And because Seoul is not a place of, of great happiness and still people uh, fly to it like the moth to the light, you know, just to get burned. And uh, people could live a much more happier life. And mm. um, I was talking to this to this guy, uh, older guy. He's actually a Changin, so he like a, a really um, accomplished. Uh, he's making wooden furniture and he's mm. like a, a, a national treasure, a living national treasure. And so he said, you know, we were talking about these things and he's this old Korean guy sitting and making his, his wooden furniture and, and things in, in Naju. And I said, you know, I don't understand these kids killing themselves, you know. There's patches of land lying around here. If you would just go there and, and work the land, uh, you know, you could make a living for yourself or something. Like, why don't they try something before killing themselves, you know. But it's like... This moving out of Seoul is it seems like there's this invisible barrier mm -hmm. around the city, and if you f go out of it, you fall into this pit, you know. Uh, but the truth is, uh, Seoul has become to some extent the pit. I love Seoul, and I and I love to come here. Um, but I'm also happy to come back to Gwangju <laughs> uh, because it's much more serene. It's 20, 30 minutes until the mountains, uh, same distance to the uh, to the ocean. Um, uh, Solal I will spend on Cheongsandom, one of my favorite islands, uh, and uh, take a ferry ride uh, there. It's, it's, uh, it's, Tell me uh, about that island, please. Cheongsandom? Chong yeah, Cheongsandom. Cheongsandom Chong is, uh, is a very small island, uh, very few cars and uh, maybe two restaurants <laughs> all together. Uh, but it's an incredible, beautiful place. And um, uh, um, 
I mentioned the movie Sopionje in a post yeah. uh, the yeah, other yeah. day. Yeah. So uh, director Im shot some of the pieces of his movie on Chongsando. Okay. Uh, if you ever come down to the south, it's a ferry ride from Wando, yeah. but uh, it's it's a little paradise um, to me. And uh, I spent. Uh, many of my birthdays there or something and at this time uh, currently our son is overseas and um, and my wife's parents are also overseas uh, so we're kind of just the two of us so we'll go to uh, Chongsando and just chill for the for the long weekend and it's just this little uh, place where time has stopped nice, and people nice. are still uh, <laughs> but there are also a lot of old people. So the other day we were sitting in a restaurant there and, and the policemen start sitting on the next table and they start talking to us. Oh, a stranger foreigner. And they're like, oh, he speaks Korean. I can hear that. And so they're talking and I was like, yeah, yeah. Chong Sando. Oh, and I said, oh, I love this place. Oh, yeah. And we have so many young people here. He's only 65. <laughs> He's only 68. And I'm like, wow, they're so young. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, so many young people here. <laughs> and I'm like, Right. <laughs> but other than that, so it's, it's old people. Um, uh, I start to fit in more and more. Uh, no, but the, uh, of course, these islands, it's a hard life, you know? Mm. It's battered by storms. Uh, more than once, we couldn't take the ferry because the storms, even for the short ferry ride, they just wouldn't go. How long is uh, the ferry ride roughly? It's now? just one hour okay. um, uh, from, from Wando. And um, so... Uh, it's a rough island life, mm -hmm. uh, but people are happy, uh, and you can see it because they have their hands on the earth, and they, uh, and um, and they're living very simple lives, uh, and they're very simple people, and all of this soul uh, glitzy bitsy is very very detached from these mm -hmm. people. But those people who have not gone away, most of the kids have gone to Seoul, I suppose. Um, but those people who have remained, and we talked about this beaming monks, or uh, mm -hmm. they have a little bit of that, mm -hmm. and they they are generous and they are friendly and they are laughing much more uh, than the people that you see. And going to these places is always recharging my spiritual uh, batteries. And it's a pity we don't get to see them more because you get to see them, and sometimes I get to see them out in the countryside, but. I think when we look at Seoul and whether it's through real life or through the media, things like this, there's many people that we forget to see. And there's mm. people that we need to see. We need to see the the old people that will just stop and talk mm. to you and crack some jokes and make you feel a humane connection. And they're not easily accessible. Maybe there's the idea again that you have to... You have to struggle. You have to go through something. You have to go through hardship. You can't find them on Instagram. Yeah. You can't find them in your local convenience store. You actually have to travel for an hour and mm -hmm. you have to do something uncomfortable. Mm. And then that's where you find the reward. That's yeah. where you find something. Do you, I, I'm, I'm curious about this. Do you find Seoul or no, do you find Korea safe? This is one, I, I don't mm. want to just try to be too positive on this, but I've always felt very safe here and I, I always see like there's a there's a lack of drugs in the street and there's, mm. there's no needles in the park there's no graffiti everywhere there's no sort of anti-social except on Kyumbukum I can't remember which one it was yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you have chavs in Germany like the, the, the ones with hoodies that stand outside yeah, the yeah. shop and smoke yeah, yeah. and it, it's it's quite clean of that 
Is it, or do you see it differently? Where do you, the, no. the safety aspect, the clinic. I always say like um, Korea is so safe it's close to boredom. Um, uh, yeah, it, no, that is one of the great qualities I can um, say in Japan, for example, or so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I can send my my kid or my wife somewhere late night, and I I don't worry, you know. Uh, except for crazy driving, there is very little um, um, threat. I would say a Korean, Korean P, a Korean as a country is very safe. I got, I could leave my uh, my film gear somewhere and come back, and it's going to be there. Um, and uh, you know, so I don't lock my cars often <laughs> or something, and even oh, though they're easily well. <laughs> easily accessible and and things like that. So yeah. I feel very very safe, and I think that is. Uh, a great, great quality of this country. Um, um, I, I often talk about the downsides of Korea, and maybe people think I only see uh, the downsides, but that is not true. But talking about the good things uh, doesn't really help uh, in, in a way because um, uh, there are already so many people cheering on Korea and, and mm-hmm. looking only at the bright sides. But there are many, many bright sides uh, I, I see in Korea. I, I would have left Korea if I wouldn't be happy here. Um, and this feeling of safety, ah, oh, that's really, really wonderful. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, not having to worry, not having to look over my shoulder. That's something uh, uh, that is very, very different in Germany, for example, mm-hmm. in many areas. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. There's, there's a couple more bits just as as we come round to the end. History. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. we've spoken a, a little bit about modern society and these problems here. Do you have a sense that Korea is unable to look at its own history square in the eye yet? It's coming from somebody from Germany mm. that's had to do a lot of self-reflection. As Brits, we need to do it as <laughs> yeah. well. Japan has its own story and things mm. like that. Um, Korea has been focused on nation building. It's been torn in half. It didn't mm. ask to be divided. It didn't ask to, to have dictators. And it's experienced all of that. I find sometimes one of the hardest stories in Korea to talk about with people is, yeah, but what really happened? Mm. How did this history really play out? Because there's a grand narrative uh, of what happened during uh, colonization and uh, and the war and things like this. Um, It's played out in movies and media. Uh, The the Spring of Soul has been the big Mm. movie recently. I, I get the sense that although it's necessary perhaps for some people that Korea's history is sometimes more story than history. Do you have an observation on this? It's very dangerous ground that I'm yes. getting into, and you can feel it, can't you? Because it's it's kind of easy to talk about birth rates and low marriage mm. and, and these things, but the the history of what happened, do you, do you have a sense here, or do you have a sense how this story is playing out? I wrote my master thesis on Korean history and Japanese uh, Korean history, so yeah, I do have a sense about it, and uh, I know this is very dangerous territory and I spoke about historical issues uh, in the Korean media and talk shows and before and um, yeah well the response was not exactly positive I didn't know about this oh, okay. yeah on several occasions uh, yeah. especially Japan Korean relations and things like that right. and uh, um, so uh, yeah you can still find uh, uh, the tech about that and you will find some really nice pieces there calling me a Nazi and 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 worse uh, so to speak but be that as it may um, 
Yes, Korea has a big issue um, with uh, with history, and that is partially due to the fact that they uh, many older Koreans grew up in a, in a time of dictatorship, so their history education was done in a time uh, where somebody controlled what they, and uh, where somebody was aiming to build a nation, to forge people together, uh, if needed with certain myths, uh, that has been done before with other nations. Uh, my country is uh, definitely no exception there. But now we live in a more modern society and we need to look at it uh, more frankly. But uh, many Korean people are not willing to look at history um, uh, without prejudice. Um, to give you a very simple example, I was also teaching at university for several years. And uh, for some reason, once in a while, the tokdo uh, comes up, you know, like usually it's uh, uh, there's a there's a certain rhythm. So tokdo is back in the news. And and then um, I, I just uh, asked my students. So, OK, I have a question because I'm a foreigner. I don't know. You know, so is, uh, is tokdo is, is that Korean uh, or Japanese? And they're like, Professor, you should know this and la, 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 la. It's, it's Korean. And um, I said, oh, OK, OK, my bad. Um, so why is it Korean? Mm. And they were like, and then it was already getting very quiet. Um, and they were like, yeah, it's always been Korea. Uh, okay, can we get a little bit more specific here? Mm. Uh, is there a contract or when was it, since when was it Korea? Or like, because the Japanese say it's Japanese, right? Mm. Like, yeah, they have no idea. And I said, okay, what is the argument from the Japanese side? Mm. And then it was dead silent. And I said, okay, so let me put it like this. You know that... Tokto belongs to Korea, but you're just talking like parrots because that's what you heard from the media from uh, or from somebody. But you don't really know why. Mm. You have zero idea why the Japanese claim the island. Mm. So you know not even half of the story, but you are 100% uh, sure of something, of a story where you don't even know your half properly and you don't even know the other half at all. So basically, you don't know nothing. <laughs> and... They didn't like that, of course, and uh, but that is my job as a professor to challenge my students and mm -hmm. uh, and not to pat them on the backs all the time. But rethink, if you want to talk about history, you need to hear both sides of, of a story. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you only know half the story, you don't know nothing. Uh, and most Koreans don't even know their half of the story properly. So um, another thing is uh, because of Japanese uh, relationships, this is a typical topic I'm asked a lot because I'm German. So we have this, oh, Germany did so well and you apologized and mm. you you worked on your history and Willy Brandt went to Poland and yeah. uh, Got on his knees. Uh, put down his knee and, and, you know, and begged for forgiveness. And I said, yes, this is all good things we did. Um, but still... This uh, Japanese Korean history is not as black and white as you like to paint it. It's much more complex than that. Um, and um, yeah, but you know, they, they never apologize properly. And I said, well, okay, that's a thing of debate. I don't want to get into this because this is a whole different uh, story again. But just one more thing I said, like, well, did the Koreans properly apologize to the Vietnamese people for the massacres they did mm -hmm. there? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they did massacres? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or was it more that, for example, there is actually a tablet put up in one of the villages mm. uh, where the biggest massacre happened? It's near Da Nang. Uh, and the Korean government intervened and had this tablet overpainted, so wow. to speak, to cover up their own massacres. 
And did John Dohan ever come to Guangzhou and apologize uh, to the victims of uh, Oil Pal? And uh, and did he ever come and apologize? Ever? So I don't want to say it's the same thing because it is not. Mm. But giving some of these examples also shows Koreans are also not exactly always on the top of the list when it comes to apologies. Mm. And... Um, and Vietnam, of course, the scale of this whole thing, I don't want to compare it because the scale mm. of what happened in Vietnam and the scale of what the Japanese did here is not on the same level. I don't want to have any misunderstanding about that. But apology is apology and massacre is massacre. And if it's 100 people or 1,000 people, um, mm. um, uh, do we want to count people's life to measure how important it is? I think the, the mindset is important. And the Korean government, from all I know, has intervened uh, with what happened in, Vi in Vietnam to to make to to get away this kind of memory tap, uh, so that people are not reminded of what the Jap uh, the Korean soldiers did there. So, and isn't that the same mindset uh, that you kind of talk to the Japanese that they should fix their own history? And uh, I totally agree that the Japanese need to do that. They need to come clean with their own history. They need to apologize more properly and more in depth and things like that. But uh, Korea also has to deal with their own history properly. Sasam Sakwon in Jeju-do is not fully resolved to me yet and not enough educated enough and those things. Uh, when I came here in 94, I never have even have heard about Sasam uh, Sakwon. Mm -hmm. I found out about it in 97, 98 or something and I said, how, as a student of Korean science, could I have not known these things happening here? Because it was almost illegal until uh, the late 90s to even talk about this event. So Korea is also trying to put their dark history under the rug. Um, and uh, there might be other nations like England, like Germany, like Japan, who have a bigger bulb under the rug because they have much more dirt to put mm -hmm. under there. But it doesn't mean Korea is free of those things. And you should always work up your own, uh, uh, you know, dirty history before you uh, approach other nations to, to clean up their mess. And uh, so I do think, yes, Korea has to uh, need some cleanup to do. And some of it is on this historical level of uh, what happened, uh, massacres and things like this. And But also it needs to uh, work up this history of like a Daniel Minjok or something like this, another historical lie. Um, mm. And uh, this, yeah, that this pure Korean race thing or something like this. These are not helpful in times where we need foreign people to come here because yeah. we can't do the labor ourselves anymore or don't want to do the labor on ourselves anymore. I agree with you because as a student in Korea, I didn't really learn much about our history, ourselves, or our faults that we did to other countries, just like Vietnam. But we learn much more about Japan and Korea issues like Tokdo or sexual slaves, but mm -hmm. we don't really learn much about and we don't really reflect on our history at enough extent. So I agree with you saying that we should more talk about it and we should learn more about it. Mm. Does the Jeju massacre get covered much at school? Not much, very shortly. Mm. Mm. Sometimes there's a lot of Korean on Korean death and killing that goes mm. on during the Korean War, during the massacres as it went with, with Gwangju, with mm. Jeju. I, I, I see some progressives from around the world, they try to 
blame it all on America and remove agency from Koreans. Yeah. No, there, there is that perspective, I think, I that gets a lot of traction. They say it was all America, it was the United States military, and sometimes Korean people do these things. Yeah. It, it seems possible in the United Kingdom, in Germany, in other countries to be a dissident historian, to be a critical historian, mm. to be a to be a Chomsky, to be an E.H. Carr mm. or something like this. Mm. E.H. Carr's book was banned here for a long time, which I found fascinating. Mm. Um, but it feels it's not quite possible yet in Korea to be a historian in that sense. And I also wonder if there's there's something else in apologies here. There's that is it shame or something like that? Is it because they're so close? It was David Mason that said to me, it's because they're actually brothers and sisters rather than this whole Tanil Minjok that mm. when you look at them, they, they, they come from similar places and there's nothing like it when a family fights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that really, when brothers and sisters get at it, 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 it always, I sometimes ask my students, would it be possible to write a history of Northeast Asia that everybody agreed on? Mm. And they look at me and they go, no way. <laughs> and then it's like, well, then does history exist? Or are we all just telling stories that we like? Because a lot of things have happened here in the last 120 years. And I, I think to move forward, we need to try to make sense of them. And mm. last point on this, it was La Jong-il, a former ambassador to the United Kingdom under Kim Dae-jung. He wrote a fabulous piece in Korean a couple of years ago where he was talking about the Hanil Gwangye, Korea-Japan relations. Mm. And he said, it's like two people tugging a rope mm. and they're both pulling as hard as they can. Mm. And he said, what we need to realize is if we let go, we win. Mm. If we let go of this battle, the other person will fall down. They'll, they, you know, if we just stop pulling the rope, if we stop doing that, because my, my kids from the age of three would come home and go, yeah. <laughs> they, they would have all of these things. Uh, but it's such a sensitive topic. I, I think you're very brave for addressing that. I remember reading the doctor part mm. in this book, actually. And I mm. think uh, of all of the things that you covered, I, I didn't mean to try to get you into trouble here. That's mm. incredibly brave of you, I think. I, last year, um, there was um, the Independence Day and uh, I was invited to Pekpun um, Toron, which is a very popular uh, talk show uh, mm. in Korea, well watched. And uh, the writer called me and said, like, yeah, uh, we want you to talk about Korean-Japanese relations. And we know you know quite a bit about that. Mm. You lived in both countries and uh, you wrote your thesis on that. Um, She had researched my my previous uh, uh, things on that. And um, I said, "Okay, yeah, I'm willing to come. But this is a live program, uh, so there's not going to be any editing. Uh, Mm. And uh, she said, yeah, I know I'm (laughs) a writer for this. And you know what? I'm going likely to like this is not going to go down well with a lot of Koreans. What I'm going to say, mm-hmm. it is um, the kind of history uh, many Koreans don't uh, want to hear, or uh, or something, or an opinion many people don't want to hear. And and she said like, well, if you're uh, if you're uh, brave enough with the fallout of your comments on live TV, then we're going to be brave enough to host you. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there were many calls uh, after that to never invite me again. Or, but I've been re-invited to <laughs> to Bekpuntoran after that. Uh, but uh, the um, yeah, what I also tried to to talk about, for example, when it comes to this uh, Japanese things, um, there's a there's a legal obligation and there's a moral obligation, mm. and Korean people mix that together, and that is not a good idea because legally. Everything was solved uh, in the Treaty of San Francisco in 1965, and Korean people have to accept that. Um, 
was that a good treaty? Was it a fair treaty? That's not the discussion. A treaty is a treaty. That's the idea of things. Um, uh, there is a moral obligation uh, Japan has, mm. and that I completely agree on. Mm. Uh, but the legal part of that is closed. That's why Japan, for example, said like, okay, let's go to the International Arbitration Board mm. and they can judge. And the Koreans objected that. Because the Koreans know, of course, that legally uh, they cannot win this. The Japanese would win either way in the legal battle on on this thing. Because the, everybody will say, sorry, uh, contract, you signed this, you know. Mm. Uh, done, over. Um, and uh, that is why I was not happy with, for example, the Moon Jae-in government supporting this idea of uh, Japanese assets being, uh, yeah. uh, um, being taken here in Korea. I think this was a, a mistake. Um, because it is not in, in the framework of uh, international law. Mm -hmm. But pushing the Japanese to further apologize, uh, I think that is something we can do and uh, that we should do, because they have a moral obligation to, to apologize deeper and to work on their own history and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and solve these issues. Um, but we should focus on the moral part and not on the legal part. If we mix these things together, mm -hmm. then from the outside, um, uh, actually we undermine our own position. Because always people will say, listen, this has been closed. Yeah. I think it's very interesting with the 1965 treaty um, where the Park Chung-hee government received that money from Japan and the compensation that I'll happily stand corrected on this, that Park Chung-hee didn't use that money to enrich himself. He didn't go around building huge statues of himself mm. in the country. Yes, he, he was a very authoritarian leader by the end of his time. But the Seoul Busan Expressway and things like this, he was very much focused on we need money, we need to do yeah. stuff. So it wasn't just enriching himself. Uh, maybe just two more questions on this history thing. I'm not sure if you want to address either of them. One would be, do you have um, any insight into the Japanese position? So you've given us sort of some different perspectives on how Korea are approaching all of these issues. Obviously, Japan is a big country. There's not just one Japanese position. Mm. Um, but do you have any insight into how Japan is looking at this history at the moment? And the second one would be, perhaps even more controversial. Do you think, therefore, that what President Yoon and Yoshida are doing, they're going to different memorials with each other mm. and uh, they're spending time with each other and this is making a lot of people go, yes, that's good, and it's making a lot of people very angry, but mm. there is a concerted effort to, to break from the previous Moon administration yeah. and to try to do this. To your first question, um, uh, there's a big difference between Germany and Japan uh, in what happened after Second World War. Mm. Uh, Germany received the chance of a new start um, because basically the whole Nazi leadership uh, really to 90% or so, of course, some, some people remained or something, but mostly the whole top, the, the head was chopped off from mm. the snakes. So Germany had a new start uh, after World War II, uh, Nuremberg processes and things like that. Uh, in there were Tokyo trials um, uh, as well, and a few people got a few prison sentences and so on and so on, and a few people even got executed. But overall, the Americans, I think they didn't understand. They understand how Germany works. It's a Western mm. mindset. It's uh, it's kind of like, okay, they, we can understand this. And they know if we chop off the leadership, there are still enough uh, intelligent people to, uh, to rise up and fill the void and, and bring this to a democratic, uh, uh, country, uh, in the direction of a democratic country. In Japan, they, they should have killed the Tenno, uh, for example, the, the Japanese emperor, uh, 
by, through this involvement in this. And they should have chopped off the whole leadership. But then they realized also, first, we don't understand how the Japanese mindset really works. Mm -hmm. So if we chop off the head, we don't know what will happen in this country if we can control whatever is left. Second, they realized everything is so top down. If they chop off the head, the whole thing will might likely crumble. Mm -hmm. But they needed Japan. They needed a strong Japan. Uh, somebody even from the Japanese government once time said we're just this unsinkable uh, air carrier for them. Anti-communist bulwark was that yes. the necessity? Because uh, they understood that with China and uh, Russia, uh, the East is red, and that's the last thing the, um, they wanted. And it's 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 a protection barrier between China and Russia and and uh, the U.S. Right. Mm. So it's this kind of unsinkable carrier they had there. So they needed a strong uh, Japan. So they kind of made this. Um, deal in a, in a sense to say like okay we punish them a little bit uh, but leave the structures as they are mm -hmm. Abe who was shot last year I think um, uh, was the grandson of one of major uh, um, criminals war criminals mm -hmm. in Japan so basically let's say uh, it's like it would be like the, the grandson of Goebbels or somebody ruling the country or something all these uh, people like basically from these um, uh, from these families who were originally involved in a lot of this bad part of, of Japanese history, mm. they're still in charge. So that they don't have a big interest in working up uh, that kind of history mm. is partially understandable uh, to some extent. It's not good. It's bad. But uh, here I have to say that the Americans um, did make a big mistake to some extent that they didn't give Japan the chance for a real new start, but they left a lot of the structures in place uh, to be able to control uh, things they understood we won against the Japanese so the Japanese are in awe so we can pull the shots here and mm. uh, bring them in a very pro uh, American direction which is happening to this day um, but it also meant leaving structures uh, who supported the war and mm. the things that happened in Korea the, the things that happened in Southeast Asia and China and Manchukuo and all of these things all of these people mostly were left where they were a little bit punished or going to jail for one or two years and then they went out and became uh, had again uh, great positions within the government uh, so through that process you still have structures uh, where a lot of people are, have family relations or something uh, with people who did crimes in the war so that's mm. why people go to Yasukuni a shrine that's why people don't want to uh, address uh, the, these issues in, uh, in, in the history books and to part two of your question. Can I just ask one follow-up sure. on that? Yes. I'm very sorry to, to great memory. I sometimes hear from some people, very educated and well-meaning people, um, Andrew Salmon might be one, for example, that the crimes of Germany and the crimes of Japan were different. And so when it comes to apologies, Germany, w w genocide, there were apologies for what it did, uh, whereas apologies for colonization aren't very normally forthcoming from any countries. And so where we sometimes put Germany and Japan together, some people will say, well, we're comparing apples and oranges a little bit here. Do you have any sense of whether that's an appropriate perspective or no, we should put these both together and say what Japan did with its sort of experiments and the rape of Nanking yeah. and the comfort women, etc. You understand the, the perspective yes. there? And I think it's not entirely wrong. Um, uh, I think Britain, uh, also Germany, took a long time to apologize uh, to, for example, Namibia or, or uh, something mm. for the massacres that the uh, German government did there. Um, so, yes, uh, I would say what Japan did was not a classic colony. 
um, because what they did in Korea is try to erase the Korean identity. Mm -hmm. That is not colonization. That is kind of a genocide in some way because they tried to erase the Korean people's identity. Mm -hmm. So that is a much worse crime than what the normal colonizers did, which try to just exploit the labor, exploit the raw materials, like be it cotton or spices or whatever countries had, what the British did in India, for example. They didn't try to erase Hinduism or something like this, or they didn't uh, force them to have British names or something like this and, and change their language at school or anything. So uh, I'm what the British did in, in, in their colonies was no nothing nice. But it is still different from what the Japanese did and mm. the experiments in Manchukor um, uh, and things like that. That was terrible, terrible stuff happening there. Um, and what the Nazis did is, again, a whole other level again. Um, yeah, so I would say it's a middle ground. Uh, so, yes, uh, maybe they cannot be forced to apologize uh, um, from a legal perspective uh, or then a lot of people a lot of uh, nations have to apologize to a lot of other nations yeah. which uh, cause a possible chain reaction um, uh, and uh, but on the other hand I would also say that what the Japanese did in particular with Korea um, it goes far beyond what normal colonization uh, would do so I think it's a it's a difficult uh, thing to call and I do think uh Japanese, uh, the Japanese people, there's often this, uh, what people say, oh, they never apologized, which is, sorry, BS. Uh, they did apologize. There's a list on Wikipedia, you can look it up, uh, and, um, uh, and and so on. So The apologies weren't serious enough. Exactly. They visited but, the but train who, the next day. Yeah, the, exactly, but yeah. who's the judge of that, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, things like yeah. that. So yeah. who, when is it enough? But I would also say, Yes, it is not enough, and mm. there needs to be something more sincere. Maybe really a head of state needs to come, kneel down like Willy Brandt did, and really say, we messed up, we uh, am terribly sorry, and something like this. And maybe then it will, maybe we will see such a leader at some point in time, and maybe we can, can do that. For the time being, which leads me to your second yeah. question, I do think that what uh, Yoon suk yeol is doing in this regard, the president is doing, is, is right. Mending the ties with Japan is uh, is right for several reasons um eco economically we we need this relationship i think we're living in a world where the world order is shifting uh we used to, we have about 25 to 30 years of relative peace in the, in the western world and this dream of friendship we could be friends with our old enemies mm -hmm. we were friends with russia we were friends with china we get cheap energy there we get uh, cheap labor there everybody works with everybody it's supply chains and everything works out and this is all falling apart now mm -hmm. um and uh, so we have to look very clearly where our allies are and we might have a, as we means Korea, have a difficult history with Japan, but still Japan is still our ally much more than I think China. In, in if you look into the future, mm. China under Xi Jinping is on a path to to destruction. I think and uh, wait if something happens like what happened with Russia and Ukraine with uh, with Taiwan, whoa, uh, then that will be a whole new scenario. Mm. So. At that point in time, so from an economical and geopolitical safety perspective, yes, we have unresolved issues with Japan, but yes, we need Japan. And, and Japan also needs us. So we need, there are very few allies, true allies that we have. And, uh, and we have a potential threat always from North Korea. Um, we have a potential threat from China. And, uh, and Japan 
despite its past, I lived there for several years. I think the people are very pacifistic and uh, mm-hmm. to a large extent. And I don't think uh, even if the Japanese changed uh, Article Nine, I think it is of their constitution to mm. uh, to uh, upgrade their military again to some extent. Uh, yeah, they, they're not gonna. Not like like Germany. We're not <laughs> invading any country anytime soon, yeah, um, and neither will the Japanese. Um, but uh, we have to look beyond some of these uh, historical issues, and sometimes let bygones be bygones. And uh, this doesn't mean uh, like we completely forget. This doesn't mean we push for um, for uh, apologies and mm. working on these issues. But it also means to let some of the hate go. Uh, because hate, like they said, is a knife all blade. You hurt yourself uh, as much mm. as you hate mm. somebody uh, by stabbing. And you've been very clear to emphasize the moral obligations of Japan to apologize and Absolutely. things like this. But the, this is a dangerous part of the world. I mean, the whole world feels dangerous. But I mean, when you look, there's North Korea, there's Russia, there's China. This yeah. is this is a place where you need friends, I think. Yes. And we sometimes underestimate Korea's democracy because it's easy to be a democracy in Western Europe. It's a lot harder to be a democracy here, and, yeah. and that's what Korea has done. I'm not sure whether I should ask you this. <laughs> you, and so and you don't have to answer, but this idea that everything else aside, right, all other politics and Yogabu and everything like this, mm-hmm. that the president, by going and trying to mend ties with Japan and do these things, is the right thing or it's the wrong thing? It's too sensitive? Or? Um, I think that we should make link between... Japan and Korea too, as you said in our conversation, because just staying angry at a country just don't change the history that has just happened, right? And then um, the interesting thing that you said was we are somehow confusing moral and law thing. Mm. And I didn't really realize it before you say it, honestly. Because we just learned that, oh, Japan has done such, such things to our country. And as as we said before, Tokdo is Uritang and Japan has been colonizing us. But we didn't really learn much about how to do in the future or how to do in present. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. It's... And there is a future coming. Yeah. You know, the, the, the fascination between the culture of Korea and Japan, like... The, so many of my Japanese students, they love K-pop and they <laughs> love BTS. There was this fascinating presentation. One of my Japanese students here in this classroom, Tihiro, she interviewed all her Japanese friends. What do you think of Korean men? They are tall. They are handsome. There <laughs> <laughs> was, you know, it was a very positive vibe and maybe the future of culture and yeah, there's, there's a long way to go, but um, I, I, I just want to say one more time on the record that mm. I nearly didn't ask about history, but I, I, I'm so glad that I did because I, I think the perspectives and you provide as well as the bravery uh, is incredible because you spoke about negative reactions online and I sometimes, you know, Korean students might say to me sometimes, you know more about Korean history than me because I, than the students, because I teach certain things, but I am also guilty sometimes of self-censoring mm. because I know of the sensitivity and I know how things happen and uh, uh, you're in, 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 that sense you're an inspiration with the bravery that you speak Anton I think it's very amazing thank you I, I spoke before when on a different topic when we said we we engage ourselves with our fears right and mm. we build a prison out of our own fears and this um, uh, 
refers to all aspects of life, I think. And if we live in a society uh, where we feel we cannot um, express ourselves and our own thoughts and opinions, uh, I have, I would never say that what I say is the truth and mm-hmm. uh, and it's an absolute thing. Uh, I always be happy to discuss with people, and I might be wrong on things too. Uh, there might be aspects of history I don't know, I'm not aware of, or something. And I'll be happy to hear from somebody and and be corrected. Mm, uh, I think that's right. a positive process. But until that moment, I will try to express my own thoughts and opinions as free as possible. And uh, also, my wife told me on several occasions, "Oh, you shouldn't say this, you know, like, and we'll get into trouble for this." And I said, "If we live in fear." <laughs> from opinions of others then mm-hmm. this is not a democracy anymore and then this is not a free country anymore and so we need to be fearless um, with our own lives uh, taking our lives into our own hands making difficult decisions and sometimes saying things that are unpopular and uh, that sometimes mean being cancelled from TV shows like I was for things that I said that weren't popular mm-hmm. it was not that people said it was not that I said something wrong it, they just didn't like it I get that yeah, yeah. And um, but uh, I learned nothing from that uh, except that I will keep doing this. And if people don't want to talk to me mm. because they don't like to hear what I say, then they don't have to talk to me. But um, I will not bend my my uh, or self censor myself uh, because I think that is the wrong way uh, if we want to bring this country forward. Mm. I think as well as fear, sometimes perhaps there's a, an economic obligation or a commitment when you have when I have young children and things like this that that sometimes crosses the minds. But uh, very powerful words. Um, one of the last things, last question I'm going to ask you: Is there anything else that we've missed you and so while you have Anton here? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we've had a lecture. For yeah. Yeah, 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 it's been brilliant. Um. Yeah, I think that I've learned so much things enough. (laughs) (laughs) This will be a strange thing. Um, Could you perhaps just give us a closing statement in Korean? And the reason, I I, I know I'm putting you on the spot, and I'll just talk a sec, but I think there might be some people, maybe, I'm not sure, that that just underestimate it or or not quite appreciative of it. And we we joked about it at the start, like how well you do speak, and I, I think that... I don't want that to be ignored <laughs> alongside everything else that you've said. I, I I don't mean this in a in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, no, 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 but, no. Um, uh, 마지막 마지막 말씀 있는지 한번 듣고 싶습니다. 지금 의미 있는 얘기 좀 해야 되겠네. 먼저 원래 생각해야 되는데 그 다음은 의미 적인 얘기 할수 있는데 먼저는 사실 재밌는 게 오늘 저도 먼저 초대해 주셔서 너무 감사하고 어 그냥 재밌는 대화 사실 또 길게 할 수도 있는데 근데. 아그 시간이 없어서 지금 점점 마무리해야 되는데 근데 저한테 되게 신기한 게 거의 영어로 이렇게 대화하는 게는 거의 처음이거든요 <웃음> 지난 몇 년에서 뭐 TV나 뭐 팟캐스트 뭐 여기저기 인터뷰 많이 했는데 근데 영어로 이렇게 얘기할 수 있는 게또 되게 즐거운 경험이었어요 저한테는 왜냐하면 한국말 얼마나 잘해도 당연히 영어만큼 도어만큼 잘하는 게 아니고 그래서 조금 더 정확하게 표현할 수 있는 것 같아요 그래서 가끔 내가 걱정하는 게 어, TV 아니면 어디서 나가게 되면 이렇게 민감한 테마에서 얘기하면 사람들 아 제가 하고 싶은 말제 마음에서 정말 표현하고 싶은 게 정말 딱 제대로 표현했는지 안 했는지 난 가끔 100% 확실하지 않아요. 그래서 항상 약간 이런 두려움도 있는데 그냥 이런 두려움 넘어가서 어, 그래도 전 항상 노력하고 있어요. 그래서 정말 사람들 화나게 만들고 싶은 게 아니고 사람들 생각하게 만들고 싶어요. 
그리고 나는 틀리다고 생각해도 그냥 화내지 말고 그냥 저랑 만나고 <웃음> 가르쳐 주세요. 어, 정말 그런 마음 되게 중요하다고 생각하고 그냥 어, 100% 확실한 게는 전 세계에서는 아예 없다고 생각하고 음. 정말 우리는 항상 두려움 없이 우리 의견을 표현해야 된다는데 그런데 다른 사람 다른 의견이 있으면 열린 마음으로 그거는 받아야 된다고 생각하고 음. 그렇게는 정말 민주주의 그거는 정말 평화로운 좋은 나라가 만들 수 있다고 생각하고 그거는 제일 중요하다고 생각합니다. 네. 감사합니다. 안전. <웃음> 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 It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. <laughs> How brave is this young woman? Yes, wonderful. 19 wonderful. years old with yes. dreams of being a presenter. Yeah. Yes, wonderful. So how did you guys uh, meet or what's your connection? Oh, university. Yeah, university. Ah, you're a student of his? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. I took three of his lectures last semester. So oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, you seem very committed and dedicated. Yeah. You want to do something. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it just provides a nice counterbalance. To yes, yes. No, I, I, I really think it's very good because otherwise it's two white old guys talking. And uh, this gives um, this kind of uh, young Korean perspective. Um, so, uh, yeah, and also like... So it gives us more credibility uh, in a certain in way. A, in a way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because somebody could watch us and like, yeah, these two guys, you know, like they have their own ideas about Korea and Korea is mm. that and that. But mm. Koreans might see this completely different. But you being here and voicing your own opinions and 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 views of of the topics we're discussing, this gives uh, more credibility to the whole discussion as such. And I I wish we would have much more of this kind of format uh, actually. Overall in, uh, in in Korea, but actually, as we all know, discussion culture is not a big thing in Korea. You know, it's like everybody giving their speech and then uh, that's it. And know? that's it. Yeah. And the good thing, never lived abroad. Oh, Doesn't that yeah. perfect thing? I don't want to like throw shade <laughs> yeah, on you. Yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah. to do that. But that's the real sort of real Korean. Yeah, no, and mm. your English is really fantastic. I mean, oh, like yeah. really, it's very very good. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. No, really had. Uh, had a good time. You're going to have to say this before. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Just a simple one is fine. Yeah. <laughs>